0: hello everybody what's up welcome to the show this episode of the podcast is brought to you by me undies my all-time favorite underwear i'm wearing them now and in fact i just fucking cleared out my underwear drawer to separate my me undies from what i would call emergency underwear if something goes wrong like uh like i'm a hoarder i'm a hoarder for underwear i won't throw my old i threw some of them out Anyway, my point is, it's all I wear. is me undies. No bullshit. You, you run up to me any time of day. Dude, are you wearing me undies for real? I'll show you the strap, I'll show you the waistband. But from afar, don't get weird with me, man. It's just underwear. But they're the best underwear. <clears throat> they're made of uh, a micro fabric called Modal. And it's twice as soft as cotton. Although, I doubt there's a way of testing that. I mean, how do you test how soft shit is? Either way, it's awesome. Um, and I'm a big fan. Big fan of MeUndies. They feel great. They look great, too. Mine are camo. Why not? That's the the better answer. Why not? Or better question. Um, they come in a bunch of different colors and prints and styles. New designs out every month. And they even have matching underwear for men. <clears throat> What's going on in my throat? They have matching underwear for men and women, if you're one of those fucking weirdos where the husband and the wife or the boyfriend and the girlfriend dress alike um me undies has a keep it for free guarantee as well if you don't fall in love with your first pair keep them and you get your money back no question to ask no question nothing they're that good it's fucking awesome they're my favorite underwear and this year win a valentine's day This year, win Valentine's Day? This is what the copy says. This year, win Valentine's Day. Listen, fuckers. Love is not a competition, okay? Whoever wrote this copy, that's retarded. You're not winning shit on Valentine's Day, okay? Hopefully, you have earned love with the way you treat people and respect and kindness and caring and compassion. You're not winning. It's not a fucking poker game. But... Head to MeUndies.com slash Rogan now to get free shipping and 20% off your first order. So don't wait till the last minute. Get a matching pair of this month's limited edition print while you still can and get 20% off your first order at MeUndies.com. Forward slash Rogan. Order before February 4th in the U.S. to make sure that your pair arrives in time for Valentine's Day. That's meundies.com forward slash Rogan for free shipping and 20% off your first order of my all time favorite and the world's most comfortable underwear. Hoo yeah! Hoo yeah! We're also brought to you by LegalZoom. LegalZoom is the best way for you to take care of legal shit online that you would ordinarily have to go to a lawyer's office and deal with. If you wanted to form an LLC or a corporation in the past, you would have to make an appointment with a lawyer. You would have to go there, do all the bullshit, park your car, take time off work because it's usually during work hours. That's a huge pain in the ass. You don't have to do that anymore. You could do All sorts of shit, including get a divorce. You can get a fucking divorce through... Good luck trying to get your wife or husband to fucking agree to it, but if you are amicable, you actually... You could pull it off online with LegalZoom. Um, Everything on your schedule, on your terms, upfront pricing, instead of Hour, hourly rates. And that's how LegalZoom has become the leader in helping small business owners and families with their legal needs. Legal needs, And they also have an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau. Get some legal help, walk away, and feel good about it, you fucks. You can get your life organized with an estate plan bundle at LegalZoom today. Do not forget to enter Rogan at checkout for discount. Okay? LegalZoom.com. Enter the code word Rogan. My fucking phlegm. Uh, We're also brought to you each and every episode, of course, by Onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T and check out our new Instant Alpha Brain because it is, in fact, delicious, delicious and the shit. It's amazing. Uh, It's all the power of Alpha Brain in an instant form that you pour into a, a bottle of water and enjoy. It's fucking killer, especially for people who don't like swallowing pills. You know who you are. On it is a human optimization website. We're a total human optimization company. And what that means is we provide you with all of the inspiration, motivation, and the tools to get your shit together. Whether those tools are in the form of supplements like Alpha Brain or Shroom Tech or New Mood, which is actually a mood supplement. What does that mean, Joe? What the fuck does that mean? What that means is your brain, okay? Your brain runs on neurochemicals and human neurotransmitters and human neurotransmitters you can actually take foods and supplements that enhance your body's production of human neurotransmitters one of those things is 5HTP and L-tryptophan and L-tryptophan converts to 5HTP and 5HTP is the the building blocks of serotonin um don't listen to me because i know very little about this other than what i've read <clears throat> what you need to do is google it so you can get an an objective uh review of what um what all these various nootropics do including the ingredients of alpha brain but then if you go to the onnit website there's a shitload of um information including with alpha brain the two double blind placebo controlled studies that we have um performed or we have uh um asked the Boston Center for Memory what's the word uh, commissioned to do we paid for them to perform two double-blind, placebo-controlled studies that showed all sorts of different uh, ways where alpha brain can uh, enhance your memory, enhance your uh, peak alpha state, your flow state, uh, your ability to execute things, uh, reaction time. All of it is explained, again, at Onnit.com. You'll do much better going there than you will listening to me. Strength and conditioning equipment. We have kettle bells, including the beautiful legend bells, primal bells, and zombie bells. These are all cast iron artistic kettlebells that are 3D mapped. They look fucking cool. They will last till the end of time. And uh, they're awesome to work out with. We also have the Onnit Academy. There's a physical Onnit Academy, which is an awesome gym that is in Austin, Texas, uh, arguably one of the best gyms on the planet Earth. And then there's the Austin, excuse me, the Honored Academy Link that's on Onnit.com that will show you all sorts of cool shit like different workout routines, different um, articles on the science of nutrition and um, exercise physiology, all sorts of groovy shit at Onnit.com. O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. My friends. All right. My guest today is Carlos Condit Carlos Condit is one of the best fighters in the world he is the probably one of the I think he's number two or one uh UFC welterweight contender he just fought for the title and lost a split decision to Robbie Lawler uh, in an epic fight one of the all-time greatest MMA fights it was just fucking craziness Awesome fight, and that's just uh, indicative of how Carlos fights, All as does Robbie. They're just both two awesome individuals and amazing, amazing athletes, and Carlos spent uh, a good deal of his time training with a man named Erwan LaCour. And uh, Erwan is a movement specialist. Um, that is all the rage right now in the world of MMA. And it'll all be explained on the podcast, but he's a very fascinating and interesting guy with some unique perspectives on training and uh, the, uh, the, the style of uh, preparation that uh, he likes to um, prescribe and train his fighters. And it's really, or actually I should say fighter because uh, Carlos is the only guy that he's worked with, but he's worked with uh, a bunch of different athletes and different kinds of people and just a cool guy to talk to. And again, I talk too fucking much. So without any further ado, oh, oh, I said it again. I said I wasn't going to say it anymore. I said it again. I can't stop myself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Carlos Condit and Erwan LaCour. The Joe Rogan experience.
1: Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all
2: day.
0: Is it live? All right, we're live. Carlos Condit and Erwan Lacour, welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. Thanks, Thanks. for doing this. Appreciate nice it. You. Of course. Thanks for having us. Um, so, how, first of all, for folks who are not aware of the situation, what's going on? Uh, Carlos, professional MMA fighter, one of the best in the world, just fought for the welterweight title, extremely close fight against Robbie Lawler. And you spent a lot of your time. Uh, this camp, how, I mean, how many camps was it where you trained with Irwan? Two now. Two now? Yep. And Irwan, you are a, a movement specialist, and this is all the rage in MMA right now. It's, it's really kind of fascinating as this sport grows and develops. We're looking at a sport that's really only realistically been around since 1993. That's when it sort of formed. Martial arts, of course, have been around forever. But as a sport where people really started picking it apart and trying to figure out what's the best way to pursue this, it's really only been since about 1993 when the UFC first started. And the most recent trend is guys trying to improve upon balance, movement, and their ability to close distances and uh and uh, attack and be in a position to constantly be able to do that in between those techniques so instead of concentrating on just hitting pads or just doing you know shooting doubles or doing various drills you're concentrating on the movements that take place in between those techniques is that a fair way to v- describe it
3: um yeah and and i think that the movement uh also helps uh in 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 the techniques themselves you know we we can focus specifically on on you know martial arts techniques which are you know on a base level movement right
1: yeah. right and how did you guys get hooked up uh i, re- I reached out to, to carlos yeah Actually, it's one of your comments that you were commenting on one of those UFC events, and uh, you you talked about the current state of the welterweight division. And at some point, you talked about Carlos, and he was still recovering from his injury, and and you said that at this point, uh, you know he was 31 or f- three years old back then, and uh, it, it's like it was a serious injury, and that from then on it could only somewhat get slower, and that made me react because it was both true and not true. True from a, a conventional standpoint. That's true, but from a uh, uh, training, coaching, uh, movement, practice standpoint, I knew that there was a possibility to uh, to reverse that to improve. Right, and that uh, this is actually that comment that made me think: Carlos is right there. I need to reach out to him. I can train him, and I can show that there are some different methods that can bring results, even in uh, seasoned fighters uh, like Carlos. What is your background? training in the woods a lot when I was a kid, moving in the woods, climbing trees, uh, jumping from rock to rock, and being not only uh, being encouraged to do that by my own dad. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And and then later on, I did some extreme trainings, I would say, in Paris with a very small group, and we would climb scaffoldings, and uh, we would jump off bridges, and we would balance on top of the cla- scaffoldings and like parkour type stuff? It was it was a, a parallel movement because uh, the founder of parkour, David Bell, was almost my neighbor and practically we're the same age, but we we didn't know each other back then. And I was following an old guy and we would do these uh these trainings because we were somewhat um wanted to go against the the normalcy the you know how heavy the inertia of normalcy of wanted to do uh, to know ourselves uh, through through movements and exercises and challenges that were complete out of out of, of this world
0: what do you mean by heavy the inertia of normalcy what, what exactly do you mean by that
1: well, I like to say that normalcy is a silent killer. A lot of people are just extremely bored by their day to day routines mm-hmm. it kills them it shrinks their comfort zone all the time and um, it robs their 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 creativity their their uh, vitality um, because we're not meant to live such predictable lives. Mm-hmm. And um, we're actually we're supposed to be extremely adaptable at a mental and, and physical level and we we need to uh, train that adaptability by uh, presenting ourselves with the challenges that are going to maintain that adaptability. It's, it's, we need a strategy Um, If a lifestyle is boring, if we're bored in our our lifestyle, uh, there's nothing in this world that's going to really uh, change that. Uh, We can entertain ourselves. We can consume tons of entertainment. Mm -hmm. But what we need truly to get out of this is a strategy, uh, a perception of of oneself that is different. And then the strategy that's in line with that perception of a stronger self, a a more free self. I know it's very philosophical,
2: but <laughs> yeah, while you ask say. me, you
1: ask me about it. I'm, I'm just telling you the, the, the way I think about it. If I had followed, uh, you know what, the the box, the the textbooks, the, uh, the conventions, I would not be in the place I am today. I would not have done what I've created.
0: So it's a philosophy as much as it's a training modality.
1: Because everything in life is philosophy. but you call it philosophy outlook perspective, mm-hmm. opinion, values, whatever you call it. It's something in your mind is cer- a certain perception mm. that makes you see yourself, see the world a certain way and behave accordingly. Right. A bodybuilder, you may, you may think that's purely physical, but it's not. It's a philosophy. The, the, the guy who wants to be big has a perception of himself as being very big and is going to train accordingly. So it always starts with the perception and then you behave accordingly. So everything in that sense is philosophy.
0: Now, when you met this character, what, what, was,
1: what was your <laughs> first impression? Um,
0: and why do all these movement teachers look like Jesus? Because <laughs> that's a question that's been coming up over and over again on the forums, and I, I feel
3: obligated to ask. Oh um, <laughs> well, I think, are, yeah, I think they are. Portal. Yeah, I think they are. Along, you know, they are of the the, the naturalistic uh, mm-hmm. persuasion. Yeah. Um, so, uh, first, first impression of Irwin was that he was very intense. Um, <laughs> you know, we went and we, you know, there's a wooded area there in Albuquerque and we, you know, I thought we were going to go play around, you know, walk on some, you know, walk on some logs and just kick it. and immediately. It's like, no, we're, we're working. And it was, you know, from, from the first time that we started, you know, he was, you know, demanding excellence mm-hmm. and you know demanding uh, uh quite a bit of, of 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 focus and for me you know i'm kind of like a you know add type of person and i'm you know I, I that's that's why i fight there's a lot of different things to do i can move i can play i can focus at certain times and then go fuck around at other times and and um Working with Erwin, it's not only been uh, beneficial for for me physically, but also um, you know as far as my my my, uh, my focus and uh, yeah, just just my my attention. Um, physically, initially, it was hard, man. I was I was just maybe seven or eight months off of my knee surgery. Um, my body was stiff. I'd, I had a great physical therapist, and we were making progress in in that respect, but. Um I wasn't there yet. I had a lot of imbalances. I was I was you know, st- you know, it was I was, I was still kind of fucked up.
0: What um what type of uh knee surgery you had ACL reconstruction? Did you get cadaver or yep. p- patella? I had a cadaver. I had an
3: all- allograft. So yeah. a cadaver, yes, I I'd like
0: that. That's my favorite one. I encourage people to do that. I yeah. know that guys have said that it doesn't take. But when guys say it doesn't take, I always wonder if they were training too hard, too
3: quick, so um, I have a good friend who's a, 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 a orthopedic surgeon, and he he told me that it's strong initially because they use somebody's uh, Achilles tendon, yes. which is you know four times thicker than your actual. It's one hundred fifty
0: percent percent stronger yeah, than yeah. a regular ACL.
3: Um, but as your body's assimilating it, uh, it gets weaker. Mm-hmm. Um, you it. it apparently you, your body does this scaffolding of its own cells around it as it's assimilating it to your own tissue. And, um, it, it gets weaker during that point. Eventually right. you wait a year, 18 months, it's going to be stronger than it was before. But right. in that period of seven, eight months where you're feeling good, um, the, uh, inflammation's gone away, the mm-hmm. swelling's gone down. You're like, Oh, I feel, I feel amazing. I can go fucking train i can go spar boom you blow it
0: yeah and they say it didn't take but that's not really true right
3: I, you know I don't, I don't
0: i don't think it's true
3: that, that wasn't my experience
2: you know, yeah uh,
0: thankfully from what i've talked to doctors they that's exactly how they said it too that you feel really good and you start training hard then you blow it out ed herman did that dominic cruz mm-hmm. did that a, a bunch of guys have done that mm-hmm. and it's um it's it's very common
3: yeah so uh you know uh, Erwin and I started working together uh initially it sucked man, I couldn't do hardly any of this stuff, and I'm a high level athlete, and mm-hmm. it was frustrating so um I would go and I didn't put a little bit of information from him. I'd work a little bit by myself, and then the next time we worked i'd i'd I would have made some progress and um you know, we'd work together for you know once a week, maybe twice a week for over a year now and now, how are, you, how are your camps structured? Because
0: a lot of people, they structure their camps, are very regimented. They have particular days for strength and conditioning, and it's all sort of designed so that they have enough time to recover for their skill work, and especially if you're working at specific techniques for a specific type of fighter, and you you would have to incorporate all these things, and then this movement training and stuff as well. Like, How would you figure out when to put that in? Did you have to experiment, or...
3: Every camp really is an experiment because um, as I've grown as an athlete, I've changed. I've, I've got older, you know. I have to take more time off than I did before. I have to really, um, you know, pay, pay attention to my body. So we do have somewhat of a structure like that, um, but it's also every every all the scheduling is tentative. It's like okay yeah I have this scheduled on this day, but if I'm feeling like shit I'm not gonna go in there and do that that's that's a good way to get hurt that, right it's uh, a big fight i can't I can't get fucked up
0: so when you feel like real worn out um, you you have to sort of like really be paying attention to your body
3: yeah absolutely um and we do active recovery um my strength and conditioning um you know the place that i that I go um, we do a lot of different things they they use some uh, uh Biofeedback uh, uh, software that that's pretty cool you stick some fucking sticky pads on your body and like an EKG thing and it can actually tell you physiologically um, what your readiness level is and this huh. has been being used by a, a ton of different um, uh, Professional athletes, professional teams, um, uh, collegiate teams, and professional teams, and and Olympians.
0: So they're checking like muscle balance, um,
3: Um, lactic acid. No, this what it what it does is it measures um, heart rate variability and uh, central nervous system activity and the correlation between the two and whatever their algorithm is that they've come up with to figure out you know the what what the the correlation means they can you know you got a little dumb screen that shows you blue blue or green you know yellow red Mm -hmm. as far as your trainability i can you know i can do strength and and speed uh but my my power and strength you know uh level readiness is is down and then so we we use that as a tool there's sometimes we just got to go sometimes you got to go old school and be like you know yeah this you know this is this is fancy, but I need to push through today. Um, hmm. But it's, it's, it's a tool to help um, mitigate overtraining.
0: Wow, that's, that's really fascinating. So it seems like experience is probably the most important thing then.
3: I think so. I, I, I think so. And that's hard, though. When I'm in training camp, I'm like a racehorse, man. I want to fucking run. Right. And I really need somebody to, you know, pull, pull back mm. the reins. And sometimes I can do that myself, but sometimes I'm in fucking, you know, in shark frenzy mode. I just right. want to go, 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 go. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know I, have, I have to have people around me to be like, hey, no, whoa, mm. kick it. You know, you need to, you need to kick back.
0: And your relationship with Irwan when you guys first started, how did you work in the movement training with all the other stuff that you were doing? Did you have like a specific day? You'd say, "Hey, we're going to meet on Tuesday," and yeah, just pretty set much
3: Tuesday aside. Pretty much, yeah, we would go. Uh, you know, uh, block out uh, uh, maybe three or four hours um, later in the week. Um, and, you know, just hit it. And it wasn't always intense. That was a cool thing about work with Irwin. It wasn't like physically intense, it was um, uh, mentally and neurologically taxing. So after we did this stuff, I was absolutely wiped out. But, uh, you know, I got my heart rate up a little bit, but it, it, these weren't hard workouts. They weren't taking it out of me physically. That's interesting. So what was, what wiped you out about it? Um, I think it was, we're, we're training the neuromuscular system and we're training the, um uh, he could probably tw- tell you more about it than I than I can but um it was you know really really precise uh, 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 movements that just attacks you neurologically um and um like, like i don't know he, he could probably yeah, tell or, you more so about it what <laughs> is I'm he What's he babbling about? I like about? to say <laughs> –
1: <laughs> well, well, first off, so uh, Carlos is surrounded by a, a, war, a team of world-class people. Uh, the, the person he was talking about, Adrian of Elevate at uh, Albuquerque, is a his strength and conditioning coach. So he works specifically with him on this area of this training, and then there's Brendan Gibson, and then there's Ricky Landel, and then, of course, there's Greg Jackson and, and Wayne Conjol. And so um, – so me, I had to uh, to address areas of his training that I believed were, were lacking. Uh, if I was to find a word to describe what we've been training with him, I would say, uh, Carlos, we've been training your brain. Uh, because the number one reason why we have a brain from an evolutionary perspective is for movement. It's not to discuss fine wine or the history of art, which is great, but originally it's so that uh, an animal can navigate Uh, through complex movement, through complex environments. That's the reason why we have a brain. Uh, So intensity is not necessarily uh, raising the heart rate, you know, going really hard and and burning all over. Intensity can be in the mindfulness that you uh, apply to uh, intentionally perform movement very specifically with a high level of efficiency. That requires a level of focus that... Uh, challenges stimulates and help the 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 connective uh, functions grow. As a matter of fact, movement itself is uh, a major, if not the major, uh, uh, secret or 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 reason for uh, helping connective uh, functions. It does a whole deal of of uh, of things uh, in the in you know processes in the brain that's going to. Uh, to to help it grow. And what you acquire through movement transfers to any area of life, Mm -hmm. but obviously transfers to better movement. And better movement is not always just more power, more uh, or new techniques. I I told Carlos, Carlos, listen, you've been training for 13 years. You are extremely seasoned, extremely experienced. And I bet that uh, you've tried... Uh, diverse modalities of training uh but that currently you are uh every camp is pretty much the same in term of preparation except what's specific to a game plan for a given opponent uh so I said you may try to acquire more more power it's gonna take a lot of energy because you you have already a lot of of, of power for your for your awake degree. Uh You may try to acquire more endurance uh but that's gonna be putting a lot of time a lot of energy to get that. You can try to learn more techniques, but you have already you know already so many techniques so one of the things that you can do is to to move better so any technique that you already know, we want to perform them better okay
0: so what is involved in movement training so like say it's day one, you get a guy. Like uh, And he says, hey, uh, uh, I love this idea,
1: hook me up. Well, uh, in the case of, of Carlos, it had to be something specific to him as a fighter, to what I saw. I saw, you know, what are his fortes, his strong points, but I also saw what I believed were deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may seem presumptuous, but when I talked to him about it, what I saw that could be, improved. He said, well that's exactly what I've been told for years by my coaches. And I, what was that? Um I thought that his his stance was too high. He used these
2: too narrow mostly
1: this particular, you know, uh, typically Thai boxing square stance mm-hmm. uh you know with his feet in the L shape. Um and um and to me, that caused a ton of instabilities, but also prevented him from being as fast as I believe he could be in moving in and out or, or sideways. So, so what adjustments did you make like, uh, as far as the stance? Uh, we, we, we mo- the position of his back foot right. is oriented, you know, at a 90-degree angle. So we moved it forward more at a 45-degree angle. But the problem when we did that is that when we have a square stance, Basically, your feet are, are in line. So if you move, you are relatively stable only because the back foot is going that way. Mm-hmm. So now, when you move it that way, you, you shrink a bit your, your base of support. It, create, so it creates we, even more instability. So what you need to do is to have your feet wider, to mm-hmm. widen you know, a, a bit wider on the, on the, to the front or to the back and then to the sides, like a, something like a, uh, a width, uh, shoulder width or a hip width. So that was really a, a, a lot of when you when I was tweaking something it would it may create an a, a negative uh consequence. So we had to do a lot of drilling to to improve that stance to make it to make to make it better. Now the the stance that you developed,
0: uh, sort of classic stance, you know, and you're a tall guy, you would fight tall and stand up high. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any issues when you started adjusting the way you placed your feet or did you have to relearn things? In oh yeah. yeah, oh
3: yeah, without a doubt. Um, I've been I've been training you know uh, Muay Thai since I was 15 years old, and so yeah, I mean these things have been uh, you know have been uh, uh, stratified in my in my my freaking you know, nerve, you know, my muscle memory for, for years. Uh, so yeah, it, it took quite a bit of, and I probably, you still see me going back to my, my old habits. You're going to, especially when you're tired or you're stressed or you're in different situations, you're going to revert back to the thing that you've trained the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm mindful of it for the most part, um, you know, I, I definitely think that, the improvements or the, the the adjustments we made were uh, were major improvements. Um, we also worked on instead of being real real heavy on my front leg, um, having more of like an upright stance and uh, upright stance as far as my torso and not uh, not being so heavy being more fifty fifty on my legs and that that allowed me to move in in and out um, faster, not only forward but but back. Um, and that showed big time in the, the fight against Tiago Alves. I think that was the reason I was able to, um, you know, get in, get inside, land with the elbows as effectively as I did. And, you know, and then kind of, you know, get, get the fight rolling. We're seeing some, uh, uh, I love watching different
0: sort of patterns that are developing that fighters start following. But one of the things that we're seeing, there's a lot of people that are standing in more of a karate stance. Mm-hmm. Uh, more sideways and wider stance and they, with that like sort of Leoto machida style uh, gunner nelson likes to fight like that mm-hmm. you can bounce conor mcgregor you bounce in and out mm-hmm. easier mm-hmm. it seems like a, a a lighter footprint sort of stance yeah
3: and that, that's very much what we were aiming at yes. mm-hmm. you know you know i i execute it the way that i do because i'm a flat-footed kind of fucking goofy guy um, <laughs> and i do i do my my best you know i'm You know, I'm I'm lucky. I got a hard head sometimes um, because I'm not Mister Technique all the time. Uh, But we definitely made improvement. I must say that working with uh, Carlos and uh, he's
1: he's extremely focused. Actually, when he trained, there was like no. It was like a zero fat kind of training, like completely, entirely focused from the beginning to the end, always really applied himself during the training. And I know that he drilled a lot also on his own in between every session uh, to make those adjustments, to, to make them become second nature. Because when you, when you change any aspect of your technique, at first it feels unnatural because your brain is, you know, you have something, uh, certain patterns that are ingrained in your uh, neuromuscular memory and they are, they are a little hard to change. But Carlos was able to change things really fast, actually. And I was always impressed by how fast he would make those progresses. And again, those progresses were not uh, that much physical, you know, in the sense of strength and conditioning, like you would have to work hard. To it, it, the, the changes were, I always told him, you have, the body has it. it what you need is that, that map in your in your brain somewhere to really understand recognize identify and assimilate fully that particular pattern you've done so many movements so many so much footwork so much but that way to do it requires a different wiring between the mind and and, and the body between the brain and the and the body that's a big part of it, right, is just
0: patterns and getting those patterns yes. ingrained in your system to the point where they come out automatically. Yes. Like, you know those those movements that happen either in sparring or in competition where all of a sudden you're executing something and you had zero thought. Mm-hmm. It's just completely your training takes over. You slip a punch and counter, and you don't even... There's no conscious thought at all. Mm-hmm. And that has to sort of similarly be achieved through movement.
1: Exactly, and that was, that's what stimulated Carlos' brain that much, that he had to, to take a nap after every training, whereas mm. he's used to really, really hard training. And, but with that training, which is relatively low intensity, and uh, the brain is so stimulated that it needs to recover uh, because it needs to process while it is... It's like if the movement, the mindful movement, is the input that the body... But the brain needs to do that re-circuiting uh, differently um, mm, and, yeah, I, and to, uh, to deconstruct old patterns, replace them with, with new, no, right. more
3: efficient patterns. And, th- and that didn't happen while we were doing it. You know, while we were doing it, a lot of the times I was struggling yes. with this stuff. Um, but I'd go home and I, I would rest and I'd go back to my, re- my regular training, work a little bit on it, not a whole lot. But then the next time I would come back, it was almost as, as if my, my, my mind and my body had digested this stuff and, mm. and assimilated and it put it into yes. practical application without like, uh, um, unconsciously without me even really working on it too much, um, you know he says that i that i would work in in the meantime between our sessions sometimes i did sometimes i didn't sometimes i had a lot of other what, stuff going sometimes on sometimes you did it uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but it looked like i did um because you know i, I feel like and I, I think this is kind of a, a you know a a consensus that you make gains you know, during your rest, you can lift and lift and lift and lift. But if you never rest, you're right. never going to make those gains. The same thing with um, with your technique and, um, you know, this 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 neurological training. I think it works the exact same way um, that is the whole
0: movement that's going on right now is really fascinating because there's a bunch of different sort of branches of it um yeah. and there's like what ito portal is doing there's what you're doing but there's also what nick Curson's doing he's a guy who's a strength and conditioning coach for um fabrizio Verdoom and Rafael dos Anjos. and i had him on the podcast and i asked him like what is like one of the most important things that fighters are lacking and that you you try to improve on and he said foot strength hmm. And I found that to be really interesting. And when I watched what uh-huh. you guys were doing, a lot of this barefoot jumping and leaping and balancing, and it requires like some pretty extreme
1: foot stability. It's the number one thing we addressed yes. with yep. cars. Number one. Number one, I said your feet are not strong. Wow. They're, and they're not They're not smart enough. Not that, that, that feet have a brain, but there is a, a, an extremely strong correlation between... Uh, the proprioception in the foot and, mm. and the brain and movement. So most of the time when we move, we're on our feet. And that's the reason why there are so many sensors, uh, nerve terminations in, in the feet, thousands and thousands of them. Why? Because it's about intelligence, intelligence in the sense of information. We talk about proprioception, exteroception, which is the particular perception of uh, uh, a given surface and its texture and is it slippery is it, give it does it give mm. traction and things like that uh, is, it, is it stable or shaky anyways so the moment you place your feet uh, boom it sends an information to the brain the brain processes and gives order to all the rest of the body to shift the way to to, uh, to just you know gives some order some intention it happens without you having to think about it and it, it happens extremely fast However, the more your feet are sensitive in that sense, uh, the faster that information travels up and, and back down. Uh, and secondly, also the stronger your foot is, the more reliable your base of support is. So we talk about the strength uh, of the foot. We talk about the elasticity of, of the muscles in the feet. Uh, to To be sometimes more bouncy, uh just simply faster uh to be also uh, more endurant to to last longer with that elasticity and speed um, and we did a lot of that through uh, balancing drills, even mm-hmm. like loaded balancing drills, but also specific footwork drills uh, and moving in and out and and it was not only uh the footwork itself it 's also how the level of alertness that you have in relation to an opponent, and the level of responsiveness that you have in your movement in relation to an opponent, Because it's not just reinforcing a particular part of your body as if you're made of parts. It, it has to work as a whole. We had to make sure that anything would improve specifically then would be brought back to the the, the whole spectrum, which is movement in a fight and work and actually improve. And that's what uh, Carlos did every time when he would go sp- sparring and then he would see by himself and and then tell me back i've improved this i've improved that and my coaches see it too mm. so the proof is in the pudding as, as carlos would always say it works you, you know
0: most people would think that if you're a fit guy and you're a strong guy and you know like say maybe you do squats or something like that you'd have strong feet And uh, one of the things that shocked me the most when I started doing yoga is that's what would give out. It's my feet would give out. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is so, so bizarre. Like, I felt like, okay, if I could stand on one foot, like if you made me stand here on one foot with my sneakers on, it's not hard. I'll stand on one foot. You know, okay, no big deal. But when you're balancing my feet would fucking ache you know like you're doing like bow pose or something like that and you got one leg up here and your arm is stretched forward and you're balancing my feet would be what were, was giving out and i started thinking about how little stability you know most people probably have from training with shoes on lifting weights with shoes on doing running with like big thick cushy shoes it, all those things
1: even even uh, uh, elite uh, elite athletes and even elite MMA fighters and the reason mm. why even even when they are training uh, barefoot in dojos or in gyms, um, but you have to think of what's the background of a given person. Most people today in modern populations uh, grow up indoors with shoes on
2: mm-hmm. all the
1: time, right. walking where? Walking on flat, smooth surfaces, very predictable. There's no challenge to to the body, there's no challenge to the feet. The feet become numb. The feet become weak structurally, and uh, and, and 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 in terms of strength, in terms of uh, of get areas, mobility, stability. Shoes. Yeah. So, um, if you an MMA because you are going to uh, do, uh, you know, say it's a striking, move on your feet, it's going to help. Definitely, it's going to help your your foot strength, your foot mobility, your foot stability, but it, not as much as. What you're going to gain when you have to balance uh, on, on, on narrow surfaces and, or in certain positions, in certain transitions, kneeling and sitting and get ups and get down, especially if, with loads on or at a certain pace, at a certain speed. Um, it's different. And when you make the feet stronger, then your footwork is stronger. When we talk about movement coaching, uh, some people are confused because – when they hear movement in relation to fighting, they think footwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is footwork, but it's also more than that.
0: Do you remember a few years back, uh, it was all the rage you were, you were hearing about a lot of NFL players were doing ballet. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? Uh, yeah, I remember. I, yeah, I it was it. A, a big deal, like people were like mocking it and joking around about it. And I remember thinking, man, that's really interesting. Very they, smart. They, they must have some sort of benefit in that, if they're doing it. But if you think about ballet, the movements are incredibly difficult. And especially if you're a 260-pound fucking stud athlete covered in muscles. It's like if you're a thi- – like there was a guy that was in a yoga class recently. He was a former football player, real big guy. He's like 6'4", and real thick and heavy. And it's so much harder for him to do these movements and say
1: like a girl who weighs 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's like but- a castle in the sand. You know, It's not like an Achilles tendon. It's like an Achilles – it's uh, uh, You have a whole mountain that's that's built on, on a very weak foundation. So mm. ballet, uh, even for NFL players, um, was actually a very smart move because when you look at the strength of the, 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 the cows, I had a, uh, a cousin who was a professional uh, dancer. Uh, her, her cows, her, her food strength was completely amazing because... You know, they do this gracious movement, mm. people see the grace, but they make extraordinary movement look easy, but they're not.
0: Like floor gymnasts too, I would imagine, because mm. they have to stick, like they, your your foot has to have the ability to catch you and then just stay in that position completely mm-hmm. locked in.
3: Yeah, it absorb uh, f- foot, ankle, knee, hip stability, core stability. I mean, it, it all, it starts starts in the foot. Um, balance I mean it, it, it's it, everything is integrated of course um, but it it starts your feet. I saw you doing uh, in some of the countdown shows
0: you were doing a lot of jumping over things and then standing and jumping onto a, a, a looks like a board mm-hmm. and landing on like it looks like a 2x4 or something like yep. that and locking in place on that and it was pretty impressive stuff because mm-hmm. there it is right here Jamie how what a you're on uh-huh. the ball but like this kind of stuff mm-hmm. like when you were doing these kind of movements, like, look, you'd see it here on this. How did you – how do you design these, Erwan? And, like, what are you – are you looking for different things specific to Carlos?
1: I mean – Totally specific. 100% specific to Carlos because that's the point. Uh, movement coaching, for lack of better term, um, it's not giving a fighter random movements that are not fighting movements. Mm -hmm. ballet dancing or whatever Tai Chi it could Mm -hmm. be anything it could be any movement movement is such a very it's a vast world or universe Um, if you're lucky you're gonna uh, you're gonna if you give something randomly you're gonna find something that happens to be useful but in in the case of Carlos I looked at his fights. I analyzed this movement. I had uh, some 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 intuitions about what was there, what was missing, and then as I was training him, I was constantly adjusting uh, the movement programs. What was in every session to what I saw was working, what I saw was not working. What I, saw, depending on the level of progress that it was making, we would do something more difficult or at a higher level of intensity. It's it's tailored. It's customized not random how did you develop this program this is very
0: interesting because i would imagine that you would get athletes from a bunch of different sports that would come to you right no no
1: i'm not looking i i told carlos carlos listen i'm focusing 100 on you Right. There's no other athlete that I want but to train. But you have
0: like a gym, right? I mean you have this MoveNat is this company, you have this we, we, website we, and
1: Yeah, we have uh, we have thousands of certified trainers who are using thousands? our methods. Yeah, thousands of trainers, wow. I think somewhere around three thousand at this How point long have around you been the doing world. you Uh six six the company uh, since two thousand nine.
0: So this is all your creation? You've developed this all yourself?
1: My method, the method is my creation. But however, I do draw from uh, from the history of physical education, which I have uh, studied a lot, especially what comes from Europe. And in my case, because I'm, I'm originally from France, uh, there used to be a method called uh, the natural method by a guy called Georges Hebert, who himself was not, he was seen as a pioneer, but himself was, you know, at some point, of, the, of that long line of people uh, before him was Amoros and Pistolozzi and Mercurialis, a lot of guys who were working on these different methods. But we're talking uh, uh, 20th century, 19th century, 18th century, and before and before and before. Mm-hmm. And back then, people didn't have exercise science. Uh, so what is it that they were training? They were training the most down-to-earth, practical movements they would jump they would run they would crawl they would lift and carry things and throw and catch things why because that's these are the movements that people needed back then that they were uh in the military or firefighters and when you look at it today um if there is a situation that's say potentially life-threatening these are still the movements that you need to do to save your life or to save somebody else's life. They're extremely – they're natural, but they are natural also to the point that they are vital.
0: So you have this gym, right? Um, what, what is your normal clientele, like the normal person that comes to a move-nat gym?
1: It's, it's impossible to uh, shrink to a particular category because – Do you get like housewives? <laughs> do you get all, athletes all, of all sports? All. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Old and young, men and women. So, some woman
0: comes in. She's in, she's a housewife. Oh, uh huh. Women hate that fucking expression. <laughs> a woman comes in who's a non-professional athlete who's just looking to get back in shape, maybe after having a baby. Like, what do you design a protocol specifically
1: for her? Is that what you would do? Yeah. It's a, it's. Or do a, you ma- have classes like the mo- the movements? There are some movements that are uh, fundamental movements that anybody can do. Uh, and then you have more advanced movement. And then you have, say, a simple jump, like you see Carlos jumping. You're like, this woman you're talking about won't be able to do that. Right. Actually, yes, she will, but not at the same not level yet. of intensity.
0: Right. Right. Oh, I see. So you would have her do it s- like shorter jumps over lower, bars. Yeah. It lower can be a bars. simple jump
1: on the spot where mm-hmm. you jump two inches above ground and land in the same spot where you were standing. Two inches? I think she could do four. You got to push her. <laughs> could, yeah, exactly. Get. Well, you just need to keep the on, the, the training. Yeah. You got it. Um, uh, you know, never too hard. Never right. too. Easy. easy that right. was actually also my concern when I started to train Carlos because he was recovering and I was extremely worried that I wouldn't do anything that would compromise his mm-hmm. recovery in any way that would actually help him recover even even faster so a method you have a method only when it's scalable and also when it is progressive and because these movements are natural they belong to all of us like it's like um what would be the best way to train a wild tiger? Like, can you imagine that you're gonna try to isolate their, you know, their hind legs and then try to have them do another workout for the front legs, mm. and then put them on a on a, uh, a treadmill for cardio? That wouldn't make any sense. That would be hilarious because to be optimally strong and, and agile and like a good hunter, a good predator, the wild tiger just needs to be. And behave and move like a wild tiger in its original environment. But why wouldn't be any different? you get a tiger mess?
0: on an inverted treadmill and really push that motherfucker, <laughs> have some good music going, yeah, maybe like, some uh, motivational videos, w- turn the know? heater up. It yeah. would be a, dra- a, dra- a Drago tiger. Uh, well, you know, you know they do that with uh, with pit bulls. You know pit bulls when they train them for fighting, they they put them on treadmills. It's uh they put them on a a, a treadmill that's sort of self propelled like the animal's propelling the treadmill mm-hmm. and they'll put something in front of it that it wants to get to so exercise
1: it, science yeah. for
0: for pit bulls yeah well and it's a it's a real thing I mean they sell these no. yeah they no. they have weigh-ins yeah they, yeah they do this the, the shit's yeah. serious man oh yeah. Wh- yeah why
1: not but my point was everybody needs the fundamental of I believe everybody needs the fundamental of of movements before you go through a, a very uh, specific science-based uh, exercise for for anybody. Uh, most people don't need that. Most mm. people just need to move in the first place. They don't even move. They can't even squat.
0: Right, right. Most people are just sedentary. They're just right. sitting in offices and right. cubicles or what have. And it. the
1: cause of of uh, most of their uh, physical ailments is that improper movement behavior, lack of movement, right. or too specialized movement, mm-hmm. lack of diversity. Uh, and the good thing is that the antidote for that is movement also, movement right. behaviors. Movement behavior is the cause and the solution to a lot of physical issues.
3: Yeah. So when, when you think about it, what do we do? We, we fucking stand, we sit, we lay, we bend. That's about it. That's like four, four things, right, throughout right. our day, you know and that that is so so you know narrow of a movement spectrum compared to what should we do we should throw we should run we should catch we could should swim we should balance we should pull we should carry we should you know fight we could all all this uh you know variety of things that that the human body is supposed to do and yet we are like in these constraints of our you know we have mm. chairs we're sitting here on fucking chairs before yeah. there was chairs or the fucking you know a low low squat or kneel or you know um there's uh there's also the 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 neurological uh, benefit of doing those things because mm-hmm. to for you to um to to move that way your body has or your your brain has to do it for you yeah, if we to fire those yeah synapses yeah off, right? we're not we're not doing that by you know this this boring ass shit or even if we're um uh fit you know we're still laying mm-hmm. we're still we're sitting on machines i'm doing a you know a, a elevated you know whatever um Bench it's, press or something. Yeah, like it. yeah. yeah. It's it's it, we're still kind of isolated it's very, and specific. very yeah. minimal. Yeah, yeah, it's very minimal. We we're we're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to fucking move.
1: Exactly. The the, the even the people who who are brave enough to go against that inertia of normalcy um, and, and go to the gym uh, and they will exercise with machines. I see a huge problem with that. Though, yeah, like Nautilus
0: type machines. It's stuff to, like it's lines.
1: totalitarian. Yeah. Because machines dictates your movement, right. shrinks it, shapes it, uh, it. You have no choice. You follow a, a very simplified g- pattern that's imposed by the machine. Right. This is not who you are. This is not what you're supposed to be and move like. Yeah. Because you're supposed to be highly adaptable in the way you move. But when you do, uh, try to isolate your muscles, it's, you're treating yourself like you're a freaking machine. It's like a factory mm-hmm. when you should be like... A, a wild forest or a permaculture garden or something like that it's it's not what you're designed by uh, evolution or creation whatever mm-hmm. to do
3: um, you and, know? and so bringing it back around to to MMA to stepping in the octagon to, to fighting you know the nature of our sport has so many different uh, variables I mean, anything can happen we go through you know we're using various uh energy systems we go from you know going um aerobic to anaerobic to using an isometric hold all the way back through you know so so many different things involved because basically we're able to do whatever the fuck we want in there with a you know under a very limited amount of rules um so training this way just just makes sense um because i mean it's 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 much more uh Along the lines of what we're actually going to do in competition, how much of a factor does flexibility
0: uh, play, and how often do you, uh, you train flexibility?
1: A lot of a lot of uh, so flexibility is, is is huge. Mobility is huge because the more mobility you can, you know, uh, uh, explore, manifest physically, uh, f- full range of of motion. But it also plays a huge role in. Uh, how relaxed you are, and therefore how much power you can generate. And That's actually what was the uh, one of the main point uh, focus on the second camp that we did for uh, the fight for Roby. Um, so we established a strategy. Uh, I proposed this, a movement strategy uh, f- uh, to Carlos, and he 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 t- when he talked to Greg Jackson about his game plan, they. They came up with the same thing, and that was to use his wrench to always keep control of the wrench, and therefore to use his his reach through using his kicks more and better. Mm-hmm. And um, we had to address some some deficiencies in in flexibility, mm-hmm. because what we what we what we noticed right away is that when he was uh, when Carlos was trying to reach a certain height, uh, he had to somewhat go a little beyond his his. Back then, current level of you mean height of with mobility? Kick, yes, yeah. yes. And so, when you try to somewhat force a little your mobility, what creates is instability,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and 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 slows down the movement, and then you also loses accuracy and power and accuracy. So we did tons of of stretching, but we did that stretching through natural movement, through a lot of movement on the ground, and and um, yeah, through the, those natural patterns.
3: So i think uh and you know tell me if you agree um, in m m a as opposed to traditional martial arts, I think we skip over a lot of the the, the intricacies because i know you're a a martial artist you're you know you're you came up in in uh, taekwondo um and I feel like traditional martial arts really emphasize you don't go past this point until you 've mastered this this thing right, and yeah. it's very uh You know, very specialized. In MMA, I think we get a guy and, uh, you know, he's got a wrestling background. Uh, We'll teach him a a little bit of boxing. Um, Mm -hmm. We won't get him necessarily super crisp. Teach him how to stay out of a few submissions, you know, get him real strong, get him in shape, and then put him out there and let him go with intensity. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times that will carry a lot of guys to the top levels. And yet they've missed some of these smaller... um, basic nuts and bolts kind of thing with, with, with the movement. Yes. Um, and I think that going back to, um, and that, that's all good. That's all well and good. You know, you need, you need that mix of stuff. You need the intensity. You need to be able to get out there and bring in, you know, bite down on your mouthpiece and throw down when it, when, when the time comes. But if you have that, you can always go back and work on that other stuff. And, yeah. that, and that's what I feel like uh, I, I did quite a bit with, uh, with Irwin is, you know, uh, making these tweaks on these uh, these very fu- fundamental things that that had been had been skipped over because you know I'm you know I'm kind of I'm built to be a I I got I got the fighter thing here um, and you put me you know against whoever I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking go but now let's just refine let's refine let's refine and and uh, um, maximize and yeah, maximize the potential of, of what I can do
0: yeah it seems like almost. Having that kind of go, go, go mentality, that fighter mentality, it's obviously a huge benefit when you're in a fight, but it almost seems like maybe sometimes it's against your benefit when you're training, because when you're training, you almost should be looking at it like a science. Yes. You almost should be looking at instead of like just trying to be the toughest guy in the room. You should almost be looking at it like you're building a, a, a castle, and yep. you have to make sure the foundation is good. Yep. And in traditional martial arts, you have your white belt techniques, and then you know as you develop in the ranks and you get new new belts, you move up and you get higher ranks. One of the things you say you you get uh, higher techniques or more difficult techniques. But one of the things you see in MMA is. There's guys that have mastered, like truly mastered one particular aspect of MMA, like uh, Damian Wyeth is a perfect example. He's a legitimate jiu-jitsu master, mm-hmm. world champion. And because of that, his, his specialty is so strong that he, when he gets to that spot— He's just got this massive advantage over almost anybody. Mm-hmm. And you see that when he fights like really good guys. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like Gunnar Nelson. Nelson. I was... mean Gunnar Nelson's a motherfucker. Yep. A motherfucker on the ground. Yep. But Damien's so goddamn good. Like Neil Magney's another one. Neil Magny is so good. He's so tough and so so good at avoiding submissions. His defense is excellent. And Damien just Ran right through him, Mm -hmm. and he runs right through him because his technique is samurai sword sharp, and he has polished it down, and then... Now he's learned all the other stuff. He's learned kickboxing. And in the beginning, he didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, Nate Marquardt knocked him out or all these other guys were, were able to beat him. Is He just didn't have those the stand-up skills. Mm-hmm. He didn't have all the other attributes of, of MMA. Yeah. But that one thing, he had honed to, like, sort of a mastery level. Whereas some guys never get to that in anything. Mm-hmm. They're really good at everything, but they never get to a mastery level in anything. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: And I, I would, I mean, I... I would say that that's probably me. I'm I'm good at a lot of different things. Um, maybe not a master in necessarily anything. Your pro- stand
0: up is pretty pre- high level. Pretty
3: pretty high level. Yeah, yeah. pretty high yeah, level. I,
2: I'm,
3: I'm, you know. you stand
0: up with pretty much anybody. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I put your stand up at a very high level, but you know, your submissions are very good too, man. But. If you spent five years and did nothing but jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. every day and started competing in the Mundials and Abu Dhabi mm-hmm. and Naga and all that shit, and who knows what the fuck your jiu would be like. Which
3: sounds awesome. I mean, yeah. when I was coming up, Greg Jackson's gym now is very much a, you know, it's seen as kind of you know, kickboxing, striking, lot, lots and lots of striking. Some some uh, some wrestling, some jiu but mainly striking, right? Yeah. Um, Back in the day, when I first started with Greg and his his system and his affiliates, it was mainly uh, grappling school.
0: It was Gaido Jitsu, right? Gaido,
3: Gaido Jitsu, yes, that's sir. His, his style <laughs> that he had created. Yeah. Um, well, him and some other yeah. guys kind of got together and created this thing. Um, Does he still call it that, or is that n- no? History? It, no, that's that's history, man. That's just that's, that's old school <laughs> stuff.
0: I don't know how the fuck I still remember that.
3: <laughs> um, but, you know, a guy like Keith Jardine, who by the time he got into the UFC was kickboxing everybody. Mm-hmm. When I first met Keith, Keith was a jiu-jitsu guy, man. He was competing and in, in the advanced level at you know, at these uh, uh, you know, Grappler's Quest tournaments and that sort of thing, and then kind of got away from that, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I think my first 12 or, or 12 or 13 wins or something were were by submission and now i haven't had a submission in years <laughs> yeah yeah so um we just got away from that and i think the the sport kind of evolves and, and then it comes full circle like it goes yes. it, you know swings yeah. one way and then and mm-hmm. then the other and you see that with fighters as well like paul felder's perfect example uh-huh.
0: Kids is excellent striker, mm-hmm. and he had a couple really close decision losses to Barboza and Ross Pearson, and then he wins his next fight by submission mm-hmm. and attacked with another submission before he got the rear naked choke. He almost got him in a guillotine. Like mm-hmm. you see, guys going, "Hey, there's other ways to fucking skin a cat. Like, I got I got to figure out how to be more predictable mm-hmm. or unpredictable rather." And I think that that's one of the real problems with guys who are specialist strikers is that. When you fight a guy who's a specialist striker, you know that he's not going to be shooting on you. So you're more relaxed. Mm-hmm. You know, you can loosen your legs up a little bit. You know, your footwork, your stance takes a different position because you're not, you're not squared off, always looking to sprawl and hit underhooks.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you bring that up and that um makes me think about my last fight you know mm. i'm i'm a well-rounded fighter but i said i went in there and had a kickboxing fight with with, yeah. with with robbie um
0: well i thought that would actually be to your benefit because what i said in the pre-fight thing was that you you issues you've had in the past with guys who've been able to hold on to you and grab you down <laughs> like Hendricks, uh-huh. and that that might be a, a benefit to you in the robbie lawler fight because fucking robbie just he's a gladiator uh-huh. I mean that dude. He's so rare in that regard. Mm-hmm. He, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. That guy, you know, he is all bite down the mouthpiece and move forward. He's got excellent technique and he's just fucking tough as nails. But he's a born fighter, born fighter. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why that fight was so good yeah. between you guys. That last round, man. Jesus Christ! When the fucking round was over and you guys <laughs> both put your arms on the cage, you that was the that was the. The perfect example of leaving it all in the octagon. Yeah. You guys just emptied out the tank. You were on fumes. Mm-hmm. And then the buzzer rang, and you both did the same thing. When the fuck has that ever happened? Yeah. I don't think that's ever happened in a fight. Yeah. Where the fight's over, and both guys just walk to the cage. You didn't hug each other. You're like, that that fucking happened later. You I go, Look, Look at that. this. Look at this picture right there. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. you guys. That's fucking never happened, man. I've never seen that. I wasn't that even beautiful. conscious
3: of that at that point. I think I was you know, oxygen deprived, hypoxic, yeah. you know, probably mildly concussed from getting taken shots.
0: <laughs> that was a fucking amazing fight. It was an amazing fight. And yes. it was an amazing round. That fifth round was just goddamn chaos. I mean, that to me is all of the the scariest aspects of MMA as far as damage and you know what you guys are doing to each other and all the greatest aspects of MMA as far as like display of heart and courage and willpower and just determination because you had to be burning. I mean, everything. What was it like in there, that fifth round?
3: Um, I came out and and I was, I was feeling good. I think I came out and and finishing that fourth round, I I finished strong. I almost, almost had him finished Um, in that fifth round. I knew that he was going to come out like, like, you know, like a bat out of hell. So I wanted to finish strong, and you never know with the with the judges. Right. I didn't know where I was. I felt like I was maybe up on the scorecards, but I'm like, fuck it. I need to go out there, and I started the round really, really strong. I think, and then he woke up and you know came on, turned on his beast mode like he does at the end of a lot of fights, and you know had had you know, landed some some really heavy strikes. Um, but it was, just, I mean, we were just digging. I don't even remember honestly. I don't. I remember at certain points. I guess the only thing that I could. Uh, 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 compare it to was like being in the ocean and having waves crashing on you and you're just getting your head above water just to get enough breath and then boom you're getting another one crashing down upon you and um, you are you know out of breath you're fucking struggling for survival and you know and you're just doing your best to fucking to, to, you know to, to come up a moment like that in a fight like that it's got to be
0: something that fuels you in a way that nothing else can when you're in the gym, because you know that those moments can happen. Mm-hmm. Like when you're thinking about slowing down in a strength and conditioning program, or when you're doing rounds in the bag and you're thinking about slowing down, that moment's like thinking about that fight.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that has got to be. Yeah,
3: yeah. That, that's something tangible that yeah. you can fucking grab onto when you're hitting those, po- those, those, those points. You're hitting your, your, your edge and you don't know if you can go any, any farther. That, that sort of thing can, can bring you through.
0: You know, there's the debate in MMA, like, what is the most important aspect of training? Is it strength and conditioning? Is it skill training? How do you, how do you quantify that when it comes to a fight camp? And uh, one of the things that Nick Curson was saying when I talked to him about it is, like, he believes that when a fighter comes to him or when a fighter is preparing for a fight, they already have all these skills. They already know how to fight. They already know how to kickbox. They already know, know jujitsu. When it comes down to what a camp is, he believes that the, the primary focus should be on physical preparation. Mm-hmm. The primary focus should be on getting your body to be able to perform at an extremely high output for a long time and recover quickly. And if you can get there, that the benefits of that are greater than the benefits of just consistently working on skill training and drilling and all these other things.
3: Um, I think there has to be a balance because mm. you can be in phenomenal fucking shape, ready to go five rounds and then step out and get knocked the fuck out That's in a couple of seconds. That's true, right? Yeah. Um, That's so, true. And, or you could, you could freeze up. You know, mm-hmm. yep. so I think the, 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 mental aspect of it and the psychological aspect is super, super important. So do that, you
0: drill anything like that? Do you, do you have a mental coach or do you have
3: uh visualization drills or anything along those lines? Um, I visualize, I do, but, um, know I've done this quite a bit, you know, I, uh, Uh, coach i work with ricky lindell talks about bringing it to the moment Mm -hmm. you know it's it's about being a game day player i love ricky by the way he's awesome absolutely great grappler
0: super smart guy and just cool as hell yeah
3: yeah just love that guy good all around dude for sure but um being a game day player you know you get a a lot of these guys in the gym they're killers world beaters Mm -hmm. but then you know the bell rings. They're under the bright lights, and they just they wilt. Yeah, and the doubts and then come and then you haunting get, home. Yeah, well, you get, and then you get these other guys. You are like, really? He's he's fighting who in the UFC? Mm-hmm. And You are seeing training. You are like, oh man, I don't know, I don't know how well this. I don't know if I want to watch this. He's a nice guy. He's gonna get worked, <laughs> and and then he goes out there, you know, and, and does work and rises to the occasion and, yeah. and ac- accomplishes something that you know maybe you and maybe not even he realized that he could do.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to try to figure out where the balance, where the focus should be, and I think it's different for everybody, man. Yeah, it's no, different for everybody. everybody there's too. no there's
3: no one answer. That's the thing
0: about martial arts. Like I've heard some, I heard this guy talking about this once that it's not an art, you know, that it's just people beating each other up. And I'm like, wow, that is such an ignorant thing to say because when you watch someone fight, you are watching art. It's just violent. It's a violent art. When I watch, like, your fight with Tiago Alves, you can't tell me that was an art. That was an artistic performance. Like, your interpretation of the movements and the moment to step in and blast that elbow, that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's not beautiful to him or anybody who cares about him. <laughs> or, or his facial yeah. structure. or but yeah. that's... That's um, it's beauty. There's beauty in that. There's beauty in that. And, and you know, there's beauty when he did that to Matt Hughes yeah. and when he hit Matt Hughes, that flying knee. It's there's beauty in martial arts.
3: There, There is. It's uh well, for, for me, it it always has been a creative outlet. I can put together all these sequences and all these different things mm-hmm. in in a way to solve a particular problem. Right while something somebody else is trying to do the same mm-hmm. thing against me and the margin for error is really fucking thin yeah you know if i if i zig when i should have zagged i'm mm-hmm. catching a shin upside my head and i'm you know yeah there's gonna be bone exposed and, and um you know that's why this is a great thing that's why yeah. that's why mma is so fucking cool it's so fucking cool to watch
0: but the the preparation for one night like the idea that you're, especially for a guy like you who came off of a knee surgery, you're out for a year, and then you have the... How, you were out for more than a year before the Tiago fight, right? How yeah, long was it? Probably, uh, 16 months. So you have all this time building up to this one moment.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How difficult is it to just... To just be in the moment when that happens and not be overwhelmed by the fact that so much of your future is riding on this. You're not in, in, entirely set for life financially yet. You know, there's all these different variables. You mm-hmm. have a wife, you have a child, you have a family, you have obligations, you have all these things. But yet, here you are preparing for this one completely just. It's like it just slips through your fingers. This moment, this moment that's just there that you cannot, you can't hold down. And you're, you're sharing this moment with another trained killer mm-hmm. and you're just locked into a cage and your future rides on your success.
3: Yeah. Um, I, I like to say that, you know, fight day, you know, that, that night could be the best night of your life or the, or the worst. And you don't know fucking which one. And there's an incredible mix of emotions, and I feel I feel happy. I feel sad. I feel fucking nervous. I feel um, uh, you know elated to be to be there, and then fucking scared as shit. And I don't want to do this anymore. And I really just have to write it out and be and and trust in my training, trust in the preparation that I've done up to that point. Because um, man, my mind and my emotions do all sorts of things. But I just have to know that i've done what I need to do in preparation um, for this fight that i 'm going to be all right, and that no matter what, I know that I will never give anything less than one hundred percent than than my best I, I will never give anything less than you know w- what you saw in in that fight. Um, I may get knocked out uh, but or, or you know it may may be an early night for me it may be a terrible night, but that's out of my control i I gave um, everything that I could to each each round, uh, each training session, uh, each each minute of, of of the training camp, so that um, when I when I step out there, I've done everything in my my control to fucking win this fight and and to c- compete to the best of my ability. Um, there's also the things that are out of your control. And you can't worry about that shit.
0: Injuries like the, injuries, the Tyron or,
3: Woodley fight, or catching that one that you don't see, yeah, you know, and and you know, shit happens, but that's kind of the that's the uh, it's the thrill of it. Does that make the highlights sweeter yeah.
0: knowing that those those the, you know, the, the bad moments are out there that they're possible?
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. I it's it, like I said, we're wa- we're walking on a, a razor's razor's edge on this thing. I mean, it could it could be a phenomenal night. It could be a terrible night. mean, fuck, I don't know. Nobody's died in MMA at this point. But, well, not I mean, in the UFC. Yeah, yeah not yeah. in the UFC. But you know, that shit could happen. This is a, it's a tough thing. <sighs>
0: well, what are your What's your feelings on weight cutting? Like, if you if you could be assured that the weight cutting would be out of the picture, like mm-hmm. let's just throw all the weight classes out. And let's just say, like whatever, you, what do you walk around at, like 185, 190,
3: something like that? Uh, yeah, between 190, 195. If
0: you could be assured that that is just, that's what your opponent's going to weigh, that's what you're going to weigh, you don't have to cut any weight, would, wouldn't you think that that would be a better way to compete, to just completely eliminate that from the equation, just find out whatever is your natural healthy weight and compete at that instead of this insane thing that everyone's doing where they're, Dehydrating themselves a massive percentage of your body weight sometimes as much as 10% of your body weight Just Mm -hmm. getting sucked away in water to the point where you could literally only exist in that state for a short period of time A couple hours. Yeah. Yeah, that's fucking bananas Mm -hmm. that that's a part of cage fighting that one day to me I I feel like the athletic Commission's are sleeping on a potential time bomb yeah. they're just ignoring that this is a huge issue while they're concentrating on steroids and EPO and all these other things which are real issues mm. those things are un- unquestionably real issues mm. but just as big of an issue is massive dehydration 24 hours before a cage fight mm-hmm. especially now that they've eliminated um, the IV rehydration methods and the fact that we know now there's medical science has proven that the brain does not rehydrate as fast as the rest of the tissue. Mm-hmm. It takes longer. It takes as much as 70 hours or, uh, yeah, 70 hours, to, which is fucking crazy
3: for the, yeah, the, yeah to yeah. rehydrate your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think It'd be interesting to see different proposals. I know that 1FC uh, is doing mm-hmm. something. Um, yeah, they've eliminated it. They, yeah, what are they... They're going to check your hydration levels? They're, they're going to eliminate weight cutting? Yeah, well, I know that they're doing the hydration levels on like a, a collegiate and high school wrestling um, you know, uh, level, and... I still, I still know guys that are trying to game that system. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. let them try to game that system.
3: Yeah. But if
0: you can eliminate that and test hydration levels, and like imagine like a guy like Johnny Hendricks who never made it to the fight with uh, Tyron Woodley because of the weight cutting, imagine them getting to a point where they check him. and They go, "Hey, man, you're fucking dehydrated. Yeah. You can't fight. Yeah. Like you, you didn't make weight. Like you, you're not where you're supposed to be. Yeah. I,
3: I'm on the side of health for fighters yeah and and these and guys taking care of themselves you know we're doing this for a very brief period of time in our lives and you know the repercussions long term from a lot of the a lot of the different stuff involved um including weight cutting uh you know this this is gonna have long-term ramifications so for internal uh, organs specifically kidneys right yeah man and and i think it, it ages you man it, it, mm-hmm. it, it, especially if you're not doing it correctly, especially if you're not living a healthy lifestyle year round, all of a sudden, boom! I'm going to change the way that I eat so drastically that my body's going to freak the fuck out. Which you see a lot of these guys, mm. and then they don't make it to the they don't make it to the weigh-in because their system isn't used to eating like this. I'm right. used to you know eating a bunch of bullshit, and now I'm all of a sudden eating greens, which is good for you, but your body's still going to have this 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 reaction to it, period. yeah, yeah, when you're not used okay. to it. Uh, so yeah, I would I would definitely like to see some change um, You know if, if it benefits the health of fighters. I'm all for it.
0: I don't think it could possibly not benefit them I think that would be the biggest thing that we could do even more so than I think what the What Jeff Novitsky and the UFC is trying to do with eliminating performance enhancing drugs is awesome yeah. I love the fact they're catching people. Yep. I can't believe that they caught Yoel Romero who would have thought that that guy was <laughs> taking steroids
3: That's crazy <laughs>
0: Who would right. have thought that? Yeah. That's amazing. A
3: couple of those guys, man. Definitely. I would have never
0: believed it. Him or <laughs> Hector Lombard was another one. Who saw that coming? That's nuts. Vitor Belfort? Are you kidding me? Nuts. Right. Cyborg? Really? Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, it's, it's awesome because, um, I mean, we're, we're going to come to a point in time in the real near future where it's impossible to cheat. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty close to it now. They're pretty close to it now, where they're so good at catching people, but they're they're also saving urine, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. See urine and blood for eight years yep. so, to, to test it in mm-hmm. case they don't yeah. have a
3: test that detects exactly. whatever it is you're testing at yep. this point. We can test you down the down the way, exactly. and, yeah. you, know, and you could you can come up high yeah. down the way, which
0: is that is cool. They're super close to being able to catch you doing anything now. But what they're doing is they're coming up with all these little designer things and peptides, and that's what Yoel Romero got caught for, some designer peptide, which artificially increases your body's own production of testosterone. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're doing all this sneaky, weird shit mm-hmm. that used to be totally uh, undetectable mm-hmm. You know, five, six years ago or what have you.
3: Yeah, well, that I think that's what they've been doing for a long time, correct? Like they, it's been like an arms race mm-hmm. between the the dopers and the anti-dopers. Yes, um, with I, I, that's what I understand with uh, um, Lance Armstrong. Mm-hmm. It was like a constant yeah. thing, man. They were it's like some some super sophisticated fucking programs to yeah. to, to beat these tests.
0: Yeah, and. With Lance Armstrong, one of the the interesting things was everybody was dirty. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like MMA where you have there's a few guys that uh, like Nowitzki, I think he says, calls it the smell test or the look test. Well, you look at them and you go, "Hmm, uh-huh. what the fuck's going on over there?" Right? You know. But with uh, Armstrong, like none of those guys looked like Yoel Romero. They were just little skinny guys on bikes. Yeah, it's the nature of know? the sport. Yeah, I think
3: what they were. Probably what they were taking is different than what fucking, you know, what what these big muscled up, uh, you know, prize fighters are taking.
0: Well, another important distinction uh, about these bans and about the banning of um, IV rehydration is now you can't blood dope. Mm. Because they used to be able to blood dope. Used to be able to, pretty pretty easy to just take your blood out and reinsert it into your body. You have more blood. And you get the same sort of benefits that you would get with EPO. Mm So you can't do that anymore because they'll they'll be able to detect. They can actually detect plastics in the blood that mm-hmm. come from the bags and from the tubes. It's fucking nuts,
3: man. It's wild, yeah.
0: It's nuts. It's yeah. fucking crazy what they can do.
3: I've heard. I've heard though, like in you know, you know we're talking about the arms race that people can use uh, glass syringe. glass, gl- yes. glass, and then um, the vein, like uh, sterilized veins from animals. As they're as their tubing. That's that's whatever.
0: What <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! That's so crazy. Yeah, like yeah. sausage casing and shit. Yeah. Oh my sausage. god! That's fucking. Now they're gonna fu- ch- check for <laughs> pig veins and shit. Sausage casing. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, down the
3: rabbit hole with all, like all yeah. that stuff. That's I
0: mean. Well, Nowitzki was telling me that they're they've now figured out a way to develop testosterone from animals. And it's uh, semi-theoretical at this point. They, don't, they haven't caught anybody who's done it yet. And that may, may be one of the reasons why they're, you know, they're holding on to this blood for eight years. Mm-hmm. But he said they've figured out a way. Because right now, I, I don't understand the process. But right now, the way they develop artificial testosterone is through wild yams. Huh. They use Mexican yams. I, f- I fucking don't understand it. But somehow through yams, they can develop testosterone. The yams so- are manly. Manly yams Man- <laughs> mm. I've always they, said they I am feel- what I am. Mm-hmm. That's why Popeye Popeye knew He was ahead of the time They make me feel manly So sure. they've figured out a way Through these carbon isotope tests uh, to, to detect that the testosterone In your body was non-endogenous That it was exogenous that It somehow came or another from it came from, else, from yeah. something else it- But they won't be able to do this ex- Right now at least With animal testosterone just wow. so fucking bizarre. Uh-huh.
1: It will always be a, a race between yes. the cheaters and those who control those uh with the French uh, Tour de France mm-hmm. cycling cyclism uh biking and uh, back in the, the early 20th century they were doing it already.
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah. then
1: today every Sunday there's some competition somewhere like a local short distance triathlon and those you know Sunday athletes and they dope
0: yeah, they're saying that like executives that want to like show off are taking yep. EPO and entering in triathlons and winning them. Like, so just, they
1: can put that on their resume.
0: jack to the tits on EPO, <laughs> which is really fucking dangerous, apparently. I don't understand EPO, but the way it's been described to me was that when you have so much extra blood in your system, there, there's a high risk of stroke. And that you have to mitigate the amount of EPO and the amount of blood in your system by constantly exercising. Like you have to exercise. You have to drink water and exercise. Otherwise, your blood gets too thick.
1: As we talk, millions of people are doing crazy things in their day-to-day life uh, Mm -hmm. that are going to mess up with their brain, mess up with their whole physiology and Mm -hmm. hormonal balance and stuff like that. And they're not getting paid to do it. They just do it out of whatever ignorance or laziness or... Uh, so why wouldn't these professional athletes? Of course some of them, especially in combat uh,
0: sports yeah yeah. I mean there's one thing winning, winning a bike race is one thing but not getting kicked in the head or being able to kick the guy in the head because you have that extra juice of energy you know when you're tired and you're in that fifth round but you come out because you're on EPO and you're fucking fresh. Dominic Cruz stepping and throwing high kicks and the other dude is gasping for air mm-hmm. that's that's where it becomes a huge issue absolutely I mean we're talking you know Health. potentially life yeah, and death sure. yeah sure well the way I describe MMA is it's high level problem solving with dire physical consequences. Yep. And that's and we, we've seen it. We've all seen guys get flatlined. Mm-hmm. We've all seen people I mean, you've done it to a bunch of guys inside the octagon and it could have been you, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's a, a fucking nutty sport and in this sport the doping has just a much higher level of uh, it's consequences. It's, yes. Ramifications. Ramifications, that's Absolute. the right word. Yeah. What's interesting to me though, I'm absolutely anti-doping, but I'm pro the science involved in it because what we're experiencing right now, what I believe, is that we are in a period of time in human history where our understanding and the scientific understanding of the body and its mechanisms and all of the things they can do to it is being sort of deciphered and tweaked and poked by all these various scientists. Although I believe that that should be outside of competitive athletics, we're going to get to a point in, you know, who knows, 10, 20, 30 years, where they're going to be able to genetically re-engineer human beings. Mm-hmm. And this is all going to be out the window. I think we're kind of experiencing the last years of natural competition.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, gene doping yeah. type yes. stuff. Yeah. It's going to
0: happen. I mean, they have this new thing uh, that they've uh, they have figured out how to do, where they because of this, this really interesting science. It's it's called CRISPR, is what they've uh, developed. And there's, I, I'll butcher it if I try to give the scientific definition of it. But they can literally add genes and and manipulate genes. Mm-hmm. And they're doing so in small animals and you know m- small multicellular organisms. And they're they're getting it to uh, a point where they really understand it. And they're saying that in China. They're starting to do this with human beings wow. and they're starting to fuck with it and test it and you know You might see some Chinese Wolverine type <laughs> dudes in the next 20 years and you'll know Well, that that kid's the product of these Chinese uh-huh. experiments, okay. you know, I mean that's what they used to call Corellin They used to call Corellin the experiment because if you've ever seen Corellin's family his mother and father are like five foot six yeah. They're like these tiny people and Corellin was this fucking monster of a wrestler. Mm. You know, if you do, you know who we're talking about? Alexander Karelin.
1: I've never heard of him. though. No.
0: Undefeated wrestler. I mean, he lost one time to Rulon Gardner, but the only reason why he lost is they changed a the rule. They changed the rule that this is Greco so crazy. Whereas if you release your grip, if someone gets you to release your grip, it's a point, yeah. which is insane. Yeah, and that's how Gardner beat him. Like he couldn't do anything to him, yeah. but he got Corellin towards the end of his career, you know, I mean, he'd been wrestled forever, but he would, he was so scary that guys would try to flatten out to keep from getting thrown by him because he was so strong that he would take these men, 280-pound men, and he would just go under them while they're belly down, flattened out on the mat, just praying they don't get taken for a ride, and he would lift them up and throw them through the air with all his weight and their weight, boom, coming down on them. So he's essentially knocking them the fuck out with the mat
3: uh-huh.
0: where everybody else was wrestling. You know, he was wrestling as well, but he was also hitting you with the world. <laughs> you know, it's, it was crazy, yeah. and no one knows how he got so fucking big.
1: In history of sports, there are always these these freak of nature, these ex- completely exceptional mm-hmm. athlete in a in a given in a given sport. Sure. But with what you say and the the manipulations they're going to be able to do on on physiology, maybe using nan- nanotechnologies or indeed. Uh, Uh, genetic modifications uh, they might be able to replicate to clone those those freaks of of science oh they're going to If if,
0: if it doesn't happen in our lifetimes it will happen in our children's lifetimes Mm -hmm. it's gonna happen Mm -hmm. science doesn't stop I mean it's if you go just go back 40 50 years what they were able to do if you had a knee surgery you know like you're talking about your knee graft yeah they you were fucked back then. you're fucked yep you're crippled. A bum knee. Yeah, that's just 50 years ago. That's, in, that's inside of a, a living person's lifetime.
3: Yeah, well, 20, 25 years ago yeah. or less, they, they weren't able to do this one that I had successfully. Yes. My anyway.
0: friend Steve Graham was on the U.S. ski team, and he's had some fucking insane number of surgeries. I, I, I want to say he's around 18 knee surgeries. He's, he has his knees capped. Like I'll, I'll show you this so you'll fucking freak out. <laughs> he has his knees resurfaced. The tops of his knees, are um, it's all steel. It's fucking bizarre man. It's so it's so freaky to look at but he came around uh, When they were doing all these experimental surgeries, they just they just couldn't they just didn't know how to do it They just were taking all these risks and here it is right here. I'm gonna show you this. This is fucking freaky That's the surface of the inside of his knee so he has no more cartilage And uh, all the meniscus is gone as well. So if you see that white thing down there, Uh that's artificial meniscus. Okay, That's uh, like a pad that they put in place. So they put this artificial pad in place. Then they have the tops of the knee, the top of the femur, Uh and... And it's, that glides upon yeah, the, yes. on the, the
3: plastic. It use. looks exactly. like an
1: abstract
0: painting to me. <laughs> it's fucking chaos. It's like dinner. Yeah. Mm. I, I told him, dude, you got to send me this after you get the, your latest <laughs> operation. Because he's had so many operations. He was so chewed down to the wire that this is this is the, the latest sort of fix. Yeah, that's wild, man. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. And he's had multiple ACL surgeries on both legs, MCL, just the whole deal meniscus scopes and this and that there's nothing left
1: they, they predicted that uh so many years ago when i was a kid uh steve austin whatever yeah, the name was man uh, right <laughs> it was fascinating by them.
0: yeah, yeah. We're, we're close to that i mean they're putting artificial hips in people and mm-hmm. having them being more right. n- more durable than the natural hips yep
1: they're also using uh exoskeletons yes uh, they, especially in japan they're really big on the, all these robotics uh, i got in one of those and I got an exoskeleton. Cool. I find it beautiful uh, for people who really need it. Uh, yes, you had a very serious accident. There's nothing you can do, but it's not your responsibility, or uh, you you come back from war and right. you need that that kind of assistance. In that case, I believe it's beautiful. Yes, but. My my concern is that this kind of new technology is going to be available to uh, millions of people who basically don't give a crap about their body. Their body has become completely uh, alien to themselves, and they neglect it and they they let it deteriorate.
0: You could you could think about it that way, or you I could do. say, you know what, man, it's just technology. It's It could be used or abused. I mean, like cars. I mean, cars could be used to get places, or you could be a fat fuck, and they could just wheel you over to your car, and yeah. you ooze your way into the car, and they push you in and shut it's, the door. Then the, the car drives you around because you're too it's, fucking lazy. It's the
2: balance, and yes. I
0: think
3: in our society... We always go too far. Yeah, it's sure. like that, that exoskeleton for your body becomes what the 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 shoe is to your foot. Yeah. And I think that's your your point. That's a is, very good. Is analogy. that your 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 foot is going to um, atrophy? Yes. Or your your body is going to atrophy because you have you know your foot has this artificial arch. But but
1: from like birth, like in Wally, you know, uh, oh for, like, like, Wall-E, you, love <laughs> that movie. You, 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 and then you're like, yeah, the thing is that yeah, it's freedom. It's individual freedom. You do whatever you want completely agree with that. But ultimately, it becomes the norm. It becomes mm-hmm. something that's not shocking anymore. Yes. Like uh, in the the Wally world, uh, the, the, that movie, in the end, n- not being able to even stand, let alone to walk, is not shocking. It's, it's the norm. It's just something normal. My grandma was able to walk a little, a few steps. Wow. She was extremely fit. You know, that we cha- ultimately, through generations, we changed the norm. And so yeah, uh, I won't be there. You won't be there. We won't be there. Yeah. But someone, I like to know that we're going in in a good direction, in a healthy direction. Not I don't some know. Kind if, of I don't crazy know if it is. World.
0: A, it's definitely crazy. But I don't know if it is a bad direction. But if we went back to single-celled organisms, like oh look at these pussies with their multiple cells. Back when I was a fucking kid, you had to have one cell <laughs> so, and you were
3: happy. So I don't think. I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's how how it's applied yes you know and and is it beneficial is it um right is it detrimental and what what is the implication on like mm. a societal level on like an overall thing we could look at tech technology you know the technology in general in in that respect um I, I like to see that as a as a an
1: as options as additional benefits to our current society right. and culture it means that let's imagine Utopia, like a, a society where every individual would, be, would consider their, their own health and movement ability as somewhat their personal biological duty. Mm-hmm. So they would really make sure that they stay strong, they stay healthy, they, they can move, they're, they're, they're in shape, they're sharp physically and mentally. And on top of that, whenever needed, they would punctually and wisely use those technologies. Then that would be an enhanced lifestyle in society. But when you have people, it's just there to support people who have voluntarily disempowered themselves, degenerated right. themselves. Then I, 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 don't, I don't like but the direction are, where that would be going. Aren't
0: we basing that on the current paradigm, though? If we keep moving in the same direction, it's entirely possible that you're not going to need to be in shape or get in shape. You're just going to be in shape. You're going to have something that they've invented whether it's some sort of a biotechnology, or what have you, where you never get out of shape, you're always physically fit. Your body regenerates tissue. If you lose an arm, it grows back. Yes and,
1: then- and no, it doesn't mean because here's the problem: you won't be the master of a technology; somebody else will. The same way, it's like if you everybody you stops if every, everybody stop growing their food. Mm-hmm. So when you're hungry, you need. That food to be delivered to you, to be produced for you, if at some point the production of food is in the hands of a very little, very few people, mm-hmm. there's no freedom anymore. Okay, I so see. So you say, yeah, but it allows you to be always strong, always fit, always healthy. Yeah, but the technology is in the hands of the few people. And when they want to take it back…
0: That sounds like some Illuminati type stuff. But
1: but it's it's it's, yes. it's, it's 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 that you don't have to go into a conspiracy theory to think right. about do you are you in control is it yes. something that you can fix yourself like uh, when you have a car or a, a bow or mm-hmm. uh, something can you fix the technology yourself does it belong to you do you control it or not i think you're talking about imp- things in practical sen-
0: in a practical sense and i agree with you in a practical, sort of a pragmatic approach, yeah. I'm extrapolating a hundred years from now when it all it's nonsense, because I'm saying there's going to become a time in the future where there are no natural athletes because there's no natural people. We're probably,
2: yeah, we're just a few years
0: away from being symbiotically connected to electronics. Uh-huh. We're pretty close now with phones. you leave the house without your phone, you freak out. Uh-huh. Very few people live without a car. You, know, you have your navigation system to get you around. I only remember like three or four phone numbers now. When I was a kid, I remembered everybody's number. Mm-hmm. I could be able to call my friends. I right. could be able to call my house. I fucking barely know my own home number now. When I so I'd give someone my cell phone number after Think. You
1: know, I have to think about that number. Mm-hmm. So you, give up, you you do give up some of your control. You, you give do, up but some you of get your- Google.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you get you get all sorts of good shit as well. I, I think. True. And the bad shit that comes with it, yes. though. Yes. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. what?
3: 50 years ago they started or maybe longer I don't know uh, they started making uh, fucking processed foods and Mm -hmm. that was like the best thing ever oh my god we don't have to fucking cook our food anymore we could throw it you know we could have it made for us in a factory and we just throw it in the oven and it's done boom this is the greatest thing ever you know fast forward you know 30-40 years and now we're fat and unhealthy <laughs> yeah. and our and you know in our trans uh, fats our, our national gdp and- is, you know uh, for for our health care is fucking am uh, you know or, or, or our health care cost exceeds our fucking gross domestic product for the fucking united <laughs> states and and we're just you know it, yeah it, there's, there's good parts of it yeah they, made, they probably made food safer in a sense less people are dying from fucking listeria outbreaks and that sort of thing but on the flip side of that now we're really fucking sick and fat I 100% mm.
1: agree with you Carlos because it's not like you could say wait that's we won't be very when this will happen it, it, there will be some uh, adverse consequences to all this to all this but we, we won't see it it's already here It's already altering people's life today as we speak. The people are listening to us, maybe, you know, suffering from this and that. They don't even know why. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you're surrounded by thousands and thousands of chemicals in all your hygiene products that, you know, that you breathe, that go through your pores, that go in your system, that alter your hormonal uh, – humus – Thesis and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you're eating GMO. Maybe it's, everything is altered in your day daily life, and you see it as something normal. Means you don't see it basically, and mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't bother you. You're not conscious of it, but it does bother you in how well you live.
3: Well, and and ultimately, somebody's profiting off right. it, right? You mm-hmm. know, then that's the thing is with, with with any of this stuff. I mean, it will become the norm if somebody's profiting off it. Sure, if they, if they can sell it to you. If they can, if they can convince you that this is better, whether it is or whether it's not, but you know, through you know, whatever they're already selling
1: marketing. water to us. <laughs> Maybe they'll sell air to us. Well, Pure air, aren't they? In some places, I mean, can't you buy canned are. air right. in
0: China? I mean, you think they buy canned air with a
3: little mask on it. You suck and, the canned air. I, and it I, I've good done about that in, in, uh, in Japan. Air. Actually, It's pretty Enhanced wild. Air. Made my made my veins blue. It's wild, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. Because you had so much like, pure oxygen, you could get it at like Seven Eleven over there, <laughs> next to the this this weird <sighs> squid hot dogs.
0: Just Whoa! Brrr. I did uh, an oxygen bar once in uh, Vegas. They uh, remember they used to have yeah, those. Yeah, you they're you're probably still around. I think they do. Uh-huh. You put like a little pipe up your nose, and I'm uh-huh. supposed to be like, what yeah. am I supposed to be getting out of this? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like one of those oxygen things you see old smokers w- roll around yeah. with. Yeah, totally. And the thing goes up your nose; these little tubes go up your nose. And we're sitting there, going, "Okay, what am I supposed to feel? A oh, sense of euphoria, a yeah. lot then, of extra energy." And
3: the cute chick that works there yeah. who comes up yeah. and rubs your back uh, and does that weird thing on your scalp, and you kind of—shit, mm. I felt good.
1: <laughs> but
0: it would
3: come. To it would come
1: to. to your mind to do something like that if you're in the mountain and the air is pure, yes. surrounded by trees. Why, why on earth would you try to put some whatever oxygen in your? In your brain, you don't need it.
0: Well, that's one of the things that I love about forests and trees is right. that, the, that you can physically feel the difference in the air because trees literally absorb co- carbon dioxide and express dioxide. oxygen. Yeah. They
1: produce oxygen. You breathe it in. It feels M- my better. My point is that you need these enhancements when you already live in, within an environment that is a tremendously deteriorated, right? Complete altered. Then you're like, oh, my God, I need better air. And need more natural food
2: mm-hmm.
1: I need to try to make my – even my, my, my house a bit more complex so that it, it stimulates my movement and things like that. Right. That's because you're already out of a universally – I would say an universally natural environment. Right, Comprising right. not just where you are but what you eat, how you breathe, the light, and even your own, your own behaviors, how much you sleep, uh, how you think. All of that is behavior uh, and environment. Right. And all that will impact you positively or not in terms of how, how you look, how well you perform, how you feel it, it all matters. All yeah. these variables matter.
0: What, when, what is your diet like when you're training? Do you have someone who monitors that stuff? Do you have a dietitian that you work with or anything?
3: Um, so I worked with, uh, I worked with my Dolce for this last cu- camp, this last cut. Um, I met Mike. When I was, when my knee was, was, was hurt and I was in re- recovery for that, um, was doing some seminars. He was going and doing these talks at some military bases on, you know, diet, nutrition, holistic living. And, um, they brought me out, you know, as the special guest or whatever. And I, and I, you know, I spoke on it too, but, uh, our, our philosophies on, on food and nutrition clicked. I mean, they were, they're pretty much aligned. We have a little bit different approaches, um, I started learning about uh, nutrition from uh, a strength excuse me, a strength and conditioning coach when I was about 19 years old. Up to that point, it was like, it was, you know, whatever. I, I fucking was eating, you know, off the dollar value meal at, at Wendy's. Really? Yeah, yeah. Do,
0: when, during the time, you're like fighting in the WAC or the no, UFC? No, no, this or? was
3: before then. Before this was that. I was fighting okay. in like little little casinos out okay. in the middle of the desert now in New Mexico and like making $200 for a fight. You if know, you're lucky at, at a 400 person venue. Um, and yeah, so it was like, Oh, if I only eat half of this four piece nuggets, I'm definitely going to make weight tomorrow. <laughs> and yeah. And, and you know, yeah, I vividly remember those days. Anyway, i got with this guy and he just kind of taught me the basics, you know, basically taught me, taught me about macronutrients and he mainly, uh, trained bodybuilders, um, but gave me some basics. And then since, since that point, um, I've, you know, uh, through my own practice, through my own practical applications of running through these training camps, running through, um, um, these, these weight cuts, um, and, and, you know, absorbing information, going out there and looking at information myself, um, have kind of figured it out on pretty much on my own. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I cook, I, I fucking love to cook. That's like my, my hobby. And so that helps out because, you know, I'm, I'm cooking as, you know, for fun, like kind of as a, as a cathartic. Thing after I'm training, but it, it works well because I'm you know, cooking the, the nutrient dense food that I need to perform and to train and to make weight and to be a, a high level athlete. I saw that
0: you and Irwan were working on bow hunting exercises. Uh-huh. Do, you, do you do bow
3: hunting? Uh, yes, I, I started, started bow hunting th- three years ago. I have yet to fucking kill anything <laughs> <laughs> i am not I'm, just, I'm very much a novice, yeah uh, but uh you know I'm learning, and uh is anybody teaching you uh, yeah, I've gone with some guys um some some older guys that are my dad's age. my dad's not an outdoorsman at all, um, you, know, he likes to fish, but you know he doesn't go farther than about twenty feet away from his car to fish so this all this stuff erwan if you could
0: back that up a, a bit please jamie to the, to that bow hunting thing that you just shaw- showed. What is exactly is involved in uh, these uh, bow hunting exercises that you got him doing?
1: So that was in between the two camps that we did together. And uh, uh, Carlos already knew that he was going to fight uh, Robbie Lawler. Shooting um, lefty, huh? But it was uh, somewhere.
3: Actually, no, sh- sh- right. we were just, just fucking around both ways. For, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, it was somewhere uh, late September, if I remember well. and
0: um, New Mexico is the best spot to hunt elk yep. next to Colorado. I was like, New Mexico and Colorado are the spots in this country.
1: Yep. New Mexico is the best place to just live. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think? Well, no, let's, 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 Get on so on uh, let's keep it a secret. A what,
0: what, why do you say that? Um, Diego Sanchez lives there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> yes, the beauty, the 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 landscapes, but but again, it's uh, the people will prefer another place. But yeah. but there's a certain energy, you know. I, some places resonate with you yes. more than others. Me, I I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, never never left, and then find uh, Jessica, the, you know, my soulmate, and. Uh, and everything is beautiful there. And well, you're, you nature. look like Jesus. It's a perfect
0: place to live. Santa Fe, it's a lot of hippies. You got a, a scarf on, even though you're indoors. It's I'm, a perfect I'm, I'm, place. I'm
1: European. I can't afford it. Whatever. You know? I'm French. So, what do you say to that? Yeah, what do you uh, say to my scarf? Right. Fuck you. Uh, uh, but
0: uh, so but, but we, you, love, you love New Mexico, though. You're love saying. New Mexico. Yeah. I'm, I need to I'm, get there.
1: I'm a. Uh, I'm a New Mexican now. I can't really? say you know. How I, have I you been can't there say now? like they say, uh, "Born here all my life." But yeah, you uh, definitely don't sound like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have a, a profound love for this land. Uh, there, where I live, it's surrounded by 19 pueblos so Native Indian energy, which I really relate to. And um,
0: oh, so you can go and see like these ancient sites where they used to live. You yeah. can. You can. They still, they
3: still live there, in some of them. Oh wow. yeah. Straight up, oh. Yep.
0: Right, um, like in the mountains, like uh, tucked into the mountains. Uh,
3: the, yeah, uh, well, the yeah, uh, Th- there's lots of these reservations. Mud, these also, mud, kind of old school, right. like like. Uh, stone age apartment kind of buildings and they Whoa, and they have cool. cable and now they have um cable yeah yeah They well they got yeah they got satellites hanging off the side of them now and what yeah, yeah oh my god yeah. that's yeah, insane if, if you ever come out to new mexico i'll take you by acoma bro it's dude i'm wild going. i've been, wild. been thinking about
0: going to new mexico and doing a show there for a while yeah. i want to I do something and probably
3: albuquerque is a good place to go right Albuquerque or Santa Fe? Where should I go? Uh, Santa Fe is an hour away, so come uh, to Albuquerque and then boom. Okay. boom. There's a lot of stuff right around. Mm-hmm. Come hunt. Okay, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, but there's
1: there's the, the Apache, Jicaria, Apache, Mescalero Apache sh- Reservations. It's, it's still there. It's really... A lot, re- of, cool re- that a lot just, of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. But it's a secret. Let's not talk about it.
3: Too late. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so because with regards overhead. to the the bow hunting stuff, right. honestly, the stuff that we were doing wasn't a whole lot different than uh, what we were working on for the training camps. You know, mm-hmm. we were working um, foot, ankle, knee, hip stability in um, complex environments, in walking on you know walking on logs or navigating different terrain while staying aware of my surroundings you know if i'm fucking sitting there looking at my feet and stumbling over myself and and worrying re, you know so much about being quiet and where i'm standing fucking i miss miss a goddamn you know something right. something right there mm-hmm. and um feeling with your feet uh saying that that erwin uh, has that, that helped me out quite a bit is kind of a, a coaching cue is put your mind in your feet um so that i'm looking here and i'm aware of What's going on around me, but I can feel where I'm going. Boom, I, I you know, I, I, hunt in like a, a like minimal boots, so I can, you know, I can feel if I'm about to crack that, uh, that stick and make that, you know.
0: What you kind know. of boots you wear? Like a uh, lightweight?
3: They're, they're called the ones I, I use are called mini mill, um, and they are how do you spell that? M I N I M I L L I think is is what it is, and they're they're dope, man. So I think initially. Uh, the 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 Vibrams five fingers came into vogue in, mm-hmm. in the military. They they loved it, right? And everybody was all about the uh, the the minimal footwear. Right. Um, but if you go too minimal, too fast, you're going to hurt your feet because our feet, Just not our, bo- our bones, our tendons, our muscles right. are atrophied from being in basically. Casts, in, yes, uh, yeah. for for you know our our entire life, and all of a sudden I'm going to go run a couple miles like I did in these supportive shoes, and you're going to get stress fractures, you're going to get all kinds of injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the military. Uh, a couple of the branches ban the ban the five finger uh, shoes or the five yeah and that's what they're called because right? people are getting hurt because five yeah f- f- foot injuries foot wow. lots
1: lots um, because, because people are, people's bodies and physiology are uh, just, just not ready structurally you, you have to work your way Everything's that you fight indeed this, yeah
3: this guy runs you know runs barefoot throughout you know through the mountains you run shit. barefoot yeah yeah <laughs> you don't wear any shoes at all
1: no well sometimes Rarely. but it, it depends on what I do but I do train also to Uh, be barefoot because it it makes you extremely sharp uh, mentally you have to be extremely focused to to just not injure yourself to be extremely adaptable so it it doesn't just train people think oh, okay so it's going to make your uh, the sole of your foot tougher what about that what's special about that but that's not the point that's not it's there's much yeah. many more benefits beyond just making your feet tougher
0: it's so fascinating that when in the invention of the running shoe which what they thought was an advancement well, oh, we're going to put cushioning it'll save people's bodies the wear and tear and it actually wound up fucking people up and getting more injured
1: the food is a masterpiece there's nothing to change about about it the human food is a masterpiece yeah and uh yeah you b- 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 try to Come up with some science-cutting science, cutting science uh, shoes, footwear. It, it's bullshit. Well, it also you just need minimal. You just need minimal protection to uh, avoid ab- abrasion and, and punctures and things like that. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you need to let the work, uh, the foot work as naturally as possible. And if you don't, then you will make your feet weaker. Right. It will. It will. It will shrink it. It
3: will n- numb it. But then, on the, on the flip side of that coin. I can't, my feet aren't strong enough to just go and run as I would normally in completely minimal shoes. I have to kick back. I have to kick back the intensity and the distance. Um, so if I really want to get a really hard, hard run in and, and, and get, get fatigued, I need, I, I throw on some, some regular old running shoes, shorter distances. I'm, I'm like specifically training my feet and, you know, and, 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 uh, uh, Conditioning my my tissues and everything to be able to do that, and that's you know that's kind of a, a, a distinction. And and
1: and moving, so I
3: don't hurt myself. Right. Mm. Uh,
1: moving moving barefoot in wild environments is not um. It's not mandatory. to people say wanna
3: mandatory? Uh, <laughs> mandatory. Well,
1: <laughs> forgive my forgive no, my okay. French. I just uh, uh, when I
0: have to do the math in my head as to what you said, I feel like I have to clarify for the people listening. All right, all <laughs> right. Okay. Well,
1: thanks. That's good. Thanks. Um, yeah, you don't have. It's it's not mandatory 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 mandatory. <laughs> mandatory thanks Joe for correcting my, Sorry. my flawed English it's very uh, good English
0: it's way but, better than my French <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, you you start you start uh, resetting your body in a in a, in a more uh, natural way through these natural movement patterns and you can do that in indoors environment even wearing some minimal footwear and then you remove the footwear and then you start to expose the body through this natural movement on more challenging, more complex environments. Ultimately, if you want to, you can become, you can go through these more, say, you know, badass trainings where it's like the real deal. You're in the wild. There are maybe cactus and sharp stones and all kind of things and, 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 and still you, you can do that. But that doesn't mean that you have to do that right away or that you ever have to do that. Right, um uh, the bow hunting practice was yeah the these balancing movements the point was not just the movement itself is when you move in complex environments, there are also situations, if, for instance, you 're hunting, your goal is to catch the game, so you need to be aware of what 's going on, you need to avoid being detected, and you need to. Look and scan your surroundings and be as light as possible, as silent as possible. If you're already in trouble with your movement, if you're already struggling with your movement, how much of your brain activity and awareness is going to be dedicated to the situation itself, which is the hunting part? Right. Because the, 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 the movement part in the, in the environment part is already, it's not there. You're struggling. Uh, it's not just a matter of, oh, I have some cardio, so I'm good. No, well... Maybe you have a hard time just kneeling, right. just getting up and getting down, mm-hmm. let alone in a supple, silent, smooth way that is not de- detectable. So well, that's bow hunting that in particular, things we were training. Bow hunting
0: you know? in particular has sort of experienced this uh, most recently, um, this fitness experience. Uh, movement, where a lot of guys are getting in extremely good shape to be able to run the mountains to, so that they can hike long distances and not be fatigued, and so that they can take shots like and have some mobility where you can be on your knees, and for long periods of time, you might be, have to be held at full, full draw while an animal's looking at you. After having run up a, a mm-hmm. hill, exactly. and you're,
3: huh, you're fatigued, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's yeah. the difference between being successful and not being successful. I mean, in today's day, you could still go to the supermarket market but ultimately what it means is whether or not you can eat or not eat so you have to be in physical shape to be able to do that kind of hunting and a lot of it is at high altitude so you're right trudging through the mountains so, with low so oxygen. Both, both
1: the body and mind have to deal with so uh, many diverse variable changing and that's yes that's again that's adaptability it's, yeah. it's about adaptability uh, I've got the 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 chance uh, to to train the the seals in the Coronado, and these guys are well. Number one, they are gentlemen. They are real good good people, but uh, they are extremely fit from the the stance uh, the standpoint of how much they can run, how much they can endure. But I would challenge them with very simple movements such as some of the movements we've trained together with Carlos. Uh, the when you are in that split squat position and you pivot reverse your orientation from forward to backward, uh, and while maybe holding a, a stick that represents uh, a rifle or a bow or could right. be a camera if you're shooting photos. So if you're struggling with that movement, you have imbalances. How much, again, of your situational awareness can be dedicated to w- the situation at hand? Right. At stake? That,
3: right? That's a good point. Because
1: you're surviving the movement. Like, Whoop, oh, excuse me. And then right. for stay, sp- stay close to the mic. Oh, if you can, all right. Sorry. And then for a split second or f- maybe for a little longer. Uh, you're in trouble. So uh, in, in in a cage situation, it's very similar because you need to always keep an eye on your opponent. So you need that situational awareness while also not having to think exclusively at how you move. So the more uh, comfortable your movement, the more fluid, the more second nature it becomes, then the more attention your brain can dedicate to the situation and to the adaptability, the range, the timing, all of these subtle little adaptations. And your brain is in charge. Your brain commands, not the body. So the body needs to be able to to move uh, in a highly reliable way. Ultimately, that it is the movement itself or the situational situational, uh, awareness, it all boils down to the brain. What I was getting at
0: before with the, the bow hunting is, uh, and with regards to your diet, like, do you eat wild game or do you get like what
3: I do? Yeah. Um, mainly I eat, uh, grass fed free range, uh, meats. Um, I get as much wild game as I can. Like I said, I didn't kill anything the last two years, but the people that I, I did go with did, they, they, they har- harvested elk. Um, so, you know, I had, we all share the meat, um, So yeah, I I eat as 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 much wild game as possible because I feel like that's, I mean, that's about as pure as you can get.
0: Yeah, it's it really is healthy too when you eat it. It does have like a different effect on your body. You can feel it if you're if you're health conscious and if you're aware of what you're taking in on a regular basis. You're Mm -hmm. sort of aware of how your body reacts. Mm -hmm. You'll see, you'll feel different when you eat wild game. It's just more nutrient dense.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and there's you know there's other aspects to it, man. When you when you see the animal die or you kill the animal there's just a a sense of gratitude i feel like for this thing giving its life to nourish your body as opposed to buying something in a nice little neat package with fucking saran wrap Mm -hmm. over it you don't even you don't really think that a life was you know was separated um to give you to to nourish your body but when you when you go out and you you see it, or it's you know it's in front of you. You realize you know that you're a little bit more connected to what you're putting in your body, and I think that disconnect is a part of the um, uh, the, the the problem with our with our our food, you know. I guess uh, sickness, our food culture that we you know that were yeah that we're experiencing these days.
0: The gratitude is certainly an aspect of it, and also the connection, just mm-hmm. a, an understanding, a real understanding of what happened, how you got there what what this meal is yep. and it just it has it feels better it feels better to eat it
3: yeah yeah it, it it's a mix of things you you actually feel as mm-hmm. opposed to yes. just not even thinking
0: about not it. Not even considering Just, oh, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike Dolce, you were saying, uh, works with you for, or worked with you for this last camp. Mm-hmm. What was the difference? Like, what, what different things did you eat and what, uh, what approach did you take? Did you do any blood work to examine your nutrient levels?
3: I did not, I didn't do any blood work. Um, the difference was, we didn't change what I was eating. We changed the structure and the timing of when I was eating. Um, I, I, I was kind of uh you know I didn't I didn't have much of a structure. I was like, "Oh, you know, I I'm, I'm eating the right things. Um I'm I'm good." Um he he's like, "Okay, well, no. Th- this is this is how we're going to do it. We're going to you know, you're going to do you're going to sit down and you you're going to eat till you're full every 3 hours. You're going to have to do feedings. You're not going to kind of snack and graze here and there, which is what I was doing." Um and uh dude, it it increased my energy levels. Um, immensely. I why? Felt, How
0: so? In I, what way?
3: I felt awesome. So I, I don't know why I don't know the physiology behind it, but, mm. um, I think it's, uh, uh, hormonal. I think I, so after I would eat these big meals, boom, I would get, uh, I would get tired. I, right. I would get like a, a, a ins, kind of insulin dump, you know, be tired for a little while. But the next time I went to train, like, I just felt like I had, had more fuel, um, you know, m- more energy, more sustenance uh, for these training sessions, um, and uh, uh, my weight cut was—I've never had a weight cut as as easy as that. We were eating, you know, f- full large meals right up until the night, or even the night night before weigh-ins. What I was—I 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 came down so quickly, and I—I kind of have a weird deal, man. I—I I feel like my body—I've—I've I've cut weight so many times. I have, you know, forty plus professional you know fights you know between kickboxing and, and, and MMA and I think my body just kind of knows it just drops even Mike's like dude I have kind of never worked with an athlete that just boom boom It's just it's just on a schedule it just my my weight drops um and uh yeah but I felt I felt amazing I felt good in the fight I think I looked good in the fight I performed well um. the the cut was the cut was awesome. So you're eating big meals. Fa- fa- I mean, fairly big, be- relative, relatively mm-hmm. big meals. How Can- many
0: calories have they counted out?
3: So I would say I would have probably a uh, an eight ounce portion of uh, of salmon, um, probably a cup of white rice, and then a good amount of vegetables. Um, you know, we're talking about you know several times a day. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow, that's interesting because most people think of weight cuts being that, you know, you severely restrict the amount of calories you have. Your body starts to go into ketosis or what have you, mm-hmm. starts absorbing fat instead of, uh, instead of carbohydrates. You dehydrate yourself then after that, and that's how you get to that state.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, that's one way to do it, mm-hmm. um, and I've definitely done that way before. I've done it a bunch of shitty What's ways. What's the worst way you've ever done it? <sighs> Just, not the chicken nuggets way but i mean like as as a, right around that same time mm-hmm. uh, not not eating i remember so my f- my first kickboxing fight ever i fought a guy named Andy Sauer i don't know if you're sure. familiar with Andy that Sauer That was your first kickboxing my first, fight? First, first kickboxing what fight ever. What the
0: fuck is that? Yeah. Who's your manager?
3: <laughs> How long uh, had Andy been fighting then? He, his, he already his, his record at the time i 62 remember 62 and 4 or na- something? 93 and 1
0: Oh my God, that's so insane! Ninety
3: three and one, and I was your
0: first kickboxing fight. Oh my God! So
3: I was twelve and zero as an MMA as an MMA oh fighter. Oh
0: my God! I was
3: nineteen years old. Um, I had maybe one or two amateur boxing fights, and I had been training MMA, I had been training kickboxing for a long time. But anyway, I go but out he to. He
2: had
0: ninety what
3: ninety ninety three and one. I remember.
0: Oh my <laughs> God! How, what fucking <laughs> governing body sanctioned that?
3: Uh, it was in Japan. I I was I was I was the guy that they were bringing in in Japan exactly. I was the guy that they were bringing in for the slaughter. Oh my god! And uh, I I show up out there and I'm only I think I remember I was only like eight pounds out and we didn't know what the fuck we were doing with with regards to the weight cut at the time. I was 19 and so I'm like oh shit and I just stop eating. I just didn't eat for about. Four days.
0: Oh no! Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> oh
0: no! That's so. Cool. Meanwhile, eight pounds ain't shit. Ain't like today, shit. I'll do that. Be, like I'll the, do that. Yeah. <laughs> the day before, yeah, eight quick. pounds. like,
3: oh, we're good. Yep. Exactly. Still, still
0: eating. <sighs> it's one day in the well. sauna. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That's oh nothing. my god. And so I, I starved myself for about four days. And were you checking your weight while you starving yourself? Yeah, I think I was. I don't. I don't remember. It was a long time ago, but. It was same day weigh-ins too. Oh
0: Christ! I, I weighed
3: in in the morning oh, and then fought God. about maybe eight or nine hours later. Oh my That's God! Insane. And uh, I went five rounds with him. Wow! I, I went. I I, it, 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 I got I got my ass kicked. I got my ass kicked, but I I, I learned a lot and I grew from the experience. <laughs> <laughs> I would
0: imagine. Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah. Andy Sauer's a legend. Yeah. Yeah, that is so he, crazy. He, that was your first kickboxing He he, fight. he
3: KO'd me with 17 seconds left to go. He
2: had uh. chopped my he
3: had chopped my legs down s- to the point where I couldn't even stand. I was falling through the ropes. I was all fucked up. Wow. Yeah. It was awesome, though, man.
2: It was, it was dope.
3: <laughs> it was cool shit. I, I went back in. I, I came back to Albuquerque. I went down to, down to the gym, and these guys that had been kind of throwing me around up to that point. I spe- specifically remember Diego Sanchez. I mean, at the time, he's the like king of the cage champion. He's like the man in New Mexico, man of Jackson's. And, you know, he always gave me a you know a really, really, really tough fight at, or tough sparring, sparring matches at, at the point. And after I went through that experience, it was just kind of like, ah, you can't do shit to me.
0: Wow. just nothing. Just changed you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, what a fucking crazy matchup that is. Yeah. That's criminal. You yeah. should find out whoever matched you up and go beat their ass. <laughs> I know. I know who did it.
3: <laughs> I'm glad. I, I shake their hand. You know that it, it,
0: that that shaped me. You yeah. Know? Well, for you, for a guy like you, you yeah. could handle it. But yeah. goddamn, that could have. And I think they, they, knew, that. It's the they knew that. This Stockholm
1: syndrome. <laughs> Stockholm syndrome.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. Yeah. Be- becoming friends with your captors. Right it's that's that's insane man what a crazy fucking matchup
3: yeah I, i've never seen i've never seen it i've never seen a video of it i think it's out there wow i think even Andy Sauer hit me up on one of the social media you know it's like asking if i had ever seen it i'm like no I've bad <laughs> up to this point I have not it was under wow. shoot boxing rules so shoot boxing i don't know if you're familiar was um billed as No-holds-barred stand-up, so it was throws and takedowns with kickboxing, Okay, no elbows. Like Draca.
0: Remember Uh, when they used to do that? They were doing that in the United States for a while, was uh, kickboxing with takedowns?
3: I I don't remember that, but that's that's what this was supposed to be. Maury Smith did that for a little bit. And standing submissions. What? Yeah, you were supposed to be able to do standing submissions, and I actually caught him in in a few chokes. Standing. Uh And, And I think the rules were... If the guy hits his knees, he's he, they they break it and they stop it. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it was weird. It was it, it was cool, man. It was it was a good experience. I was 19 wow. years old. I got yeah. to go to Japan. Yeah. Well, fight for I don't know, probably 500 bucks. I don't even remember how much <laughs> <show> it was. <laughs> Japan's crazy. Did you uh, see Ryzen? What's that? Did you
0: see Ryzen, the uh-uh. Japanese, um, the the New Year show with Fedor? I did not yes ultimate freak show yeah it was awesome cool yeah it was almost like kind of like early days of pride where Mm -hmm. it was like kind of chaotic like Gabby Garcia was there 220 pounds I saw that fight Yeah, juice to the fucking earlobes
2: (laughs) she she got dropped right she did right off the bat
0: but she came back and she cracked the chick with a back fist Fucking backfist coming back man. Arlovsky with Travis Brown. He landed a backfist. Oh this one. Yeah a regular backfist Not a spinning backfist a regular backfist just the pimp hand Just the the back backhand pimp hand, Uh but um, it was two days of fights. Wow. Yeah Sakuraba I might have been more than two days Sakuraba fought Aoki, which was just criminal they shouldn't let Sakuraba fight anymore. Right. It's, it's just awful the yeah, How old is he now? It's not how old he is it's uh, it's the miles. Yeah, you know, he's yeah. probably younger than Anderson. You yeah. know, if I had a guess, yeah. I would I would say he's younger than Anderson. But the beatings yeah. that guy's taking did you see the Melvin Manhoof fight? When Melvin was soccer kicking him and he's down, he's no. just oh yeah. It's so hard to watch uh, yeah. those Vanderlei knockouts that he suffered. Those, those were, were brutal. Those were ruthless. Yeah, that guy's been through the ringer. You know, he's he's so cr- what a legend though. That
3: guy yeah. is what a legend. Absolutely. I remember the first time I saw Pride. I saw him fighting Hoist Gracie. And oh just wow! Wasting him. That was that ninety-minute fight. That was that ninety-minute one, and yeah. he had he had Hoist in that that like dead to rights knee mm-hmm. bar yep. and hoist would not tap. Yeah. And I forget what ended up happening. It Was it a draw? Decision, yeah. It d- well,
0: it was a draw because they went the 90 minutes and nothing happened. Yeah, I yeah. think it was a draw. I think that, that's how they they t- no, 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 no. Hoist broke his ankle. That's right. Didn't he break his ankle and he couldn't continue? Fuck. Why do I not remember that? Jamie will pull it up. He'll find yeah. out. All right, cool. There was two fights. They had another one in K1. And that was in America. I was there live for that one, and the oh, voice was juiced up. He was big. He was yoked up. Then yeah. he tested positive, and uh, they fined him a fuckload of money. I don't know if he ever paid it, but he vanished. <laughs> but now he's back. He's fighting, which is crazy. He's fighting Ken Shamrock. I saw
3: that yeah. on uh, on Bellator. Bellator. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's the main event in February. That's crazy. Yeah, it's so strange. Yeah.
3: I remember th- their fight was the first fight I ever saw. It was the first UFC fight I had ever seen sakuraba
0: and hoist no 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 um uh, cannon, and uh, cannon
3: cannon hoist and hoist wow. was choking the choke choked him with his gi yeah and it was wild man that was the you know, early days
0: man uh-huh. the first fight i ever saw was orlando Viet versus um remco pardue mm-hmm. when mm. remco pardue took him down and elbowed the fuck out of him and mm-hmm. from side control or oh, he had him like that judo, Scar- like judo, scarfold, scarfold yeah yep yeah. yeah. I remember watching that, going Jesus Christ, what kind of fucking crazy sport is
3: this? And the the Pardo guy kind of hits him a few mm-hmm. times, and then he kind of look. He's like surprised yeah. that he's knocked out, and you kind of just lets him go. Yeah. The refs at the time would just let them
0: melee each other. Oh, my big John! God. Big John was one of the refs back then, <laughs> which is crazy. You remember when um uh what the fuck is his name fought that ninja dude Pat Pat Smith? Pat Smith m- fought some dude who was like doing a- like they had his his pre-fight video and his pre-fight video he was doing like ninja techniques and like fucking all this crazy shit that doesn't really mm-hmm. work and then he got in there with Pat Smith
3: who was a pretty seasoned kickboxer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was dropping just wicked elbows mm-hmm. on him and like from the mount m- yeah. and like knocked him out and then woke him up mm-hmm. and then knocked him out again before the ref stopped.
0: <laughs> yeah, well he got up and it was just a bath of blood. Uh-huh. His whole head was Essentially opened up boy. That was the early days man. The early days were really fascinating because I mean, you you were around martial arts before the UFC so you had seen Like, you know, you'd seen karate and you'd seen all these different judo and all this different stuff and nobody really knew what the best stuff was
2: mm-hmm.
0: I always knew that wrestlers could take it down I always knew that, that was gonna be a problem because I, I wrestled in high school and I had a good buddy of mine My friend uh, Steven Arduino, when I was doing uh, Taekwondo and he was wrestling, one of the reasons why I got into wrestling is because I didn't think that he could take me down. Like, we were out in the grass. He's like, I could take you down any time I want. I'm like, bullshit. He took me down over and over again. I was like, this is crazy. It was so humiliating. Mm -hmm. Like, he was just, he just took me down every time he wanted to. And I was like, this is mad. I got to start wrestling. Mm -hmm. So I started wrestling. It's one of the reasons why I started. Another one, a dude got me in a headlock and fucking threw me down in the locker room (laughs) and could have beat me up, but didn't. I was like, God damn it, I'm fucking frail. (laughs) So I I had to learn wrestling. But Uh I always knew that wrestlers could take you down if they wanted to. Uh But I always felt like a guy who uh, knew a little bit of wrestling was a good kickboxer, probably be able to keep the fight standing but then when Hoy started choking people i was like oh no this is a whole different thing this is a completely different thing that guy beat that guy from his back who mm-hmm. the fuck wins on their back uh-huh. like it was just a whole new element
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know it's interesting because you've been around from the wec days which were when you were the wec champ like it was it, it was so small in comparison to what it is now Mm -hmm. for you to go from that to that last fight against Robbie in Vegas which was just this massive fucking media event you're fighting for the world title you get there the place is sold out it's craziness the roar of the crowd you know it's time And like what a fucking odyssey you've been through in your career because you you were there sort of when it was kind of just starting to take off yeah
3: yeah, I, I really got in on, on kind of the ground level. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even before WEC, I told you we were fighting at like two hundred, three hundred mm-hmm. person venues. in yeah. the middle of, middle of the desert. And it's been crazy, man. It's been um, it's it's been an incredible ride, and it has been the coolest fucking thing ever. Man. <laughs> I wanted to, as a young kid, none of this existed, and but I was into you know the like. Early '90s martial arts movies and sure. the Ninja Turtles, and I wanted to be a, f- <laughs> I wanted to be a ninja. I, that's what I wanted to of do. Of course, I remember my. That was the second movie that I had ever seen was the first Ninja Turtles movie, and I came out of there, throwing fucking <laughs> kicks and spinning shit, and and uh, ever you know, f- from then on, I was training to be something. Yeah, and just so happened, I lived in a time that. This came to be and lived in a city where there was this camp that was, you know, by, you know, kind of inexplicably good um, for a small you know, podunk place yeah. like Albuquerque. But not just inexplicably
0: good for the, what it was, but also for the time and it evolved. Whereas a lot of those camps that were big back then, like the lion's den, mm-hmm. they're gone. You know, the Pat Miletic's gym, it's gone. Like these, these gyms that were really big at the time, mm-hmm. they didn't evolve or they didn't carry on or for whatever reason they stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, your your gym has not just evolved but evolved to be one of the premier gyms in the world. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of incredible.
3: Yeah, and, and there's been a lot of change. You know, some, oh, a yeah. lot, like a lot of the uh, original guys have branched off and are kind of doing mm-hmm. their own thing. But, um, uh, yeah, the... the the genesis of MMA and Albuquerque is kind of an interesting story. Um, and I, and I don't, I wasn't there. I was like told this, I was, you know, this is kind of, f- f- you know, hand hearsay from the people who who did develop this thing is that basically these guys from these different disciplines got together and they had watched the UFC and wanted to, Oh, you know, I'm, I have a wrestling background. This guy has a Kempo background. This guy's like a, you know, a, a AKK karate kind of background, or whatever and they all got together and they started formulating the shit. And this one guy was a, a flight attendant and he was flying all over the country and every, everywhere he'd stop, he would, he would go to these different schools. Um, cause there wasn't the internet at the time there where you couldn't jump on YouTube and look at techniques. Right. So he would go, the guy's name is Chris Luttrell and he, he cornered me for, uh, my, my fight against GSP. Uh, and was is one of the founding members of, of Jacksons he was going to these different jiu jitsu judo pancreation schools and seeing w- what they were doing then he was bringing the information back wow. and they were and then they were you know kind of getting into the laboratory and see what was working oh. at the same time some of these guys were um, bouncers and police officers and 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 literally using this stuff you know on the street mm. in, in some you know some you know uh, Roadhouse type fucking situations. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> my, my, original, my original trainer was like a Patrick Swayze from Roadhouse type kind of guy, Tom Vaughn. I don't know if you know Tom Vaughn. Yeah, he, tra- he trains sure. Tim Means. Yes. Um, he's yeah. fit NHP now yep. in uh, Albuquerque as well. And he was, him and Greg were, I mean, that that he's one of the founding members as well. It's kind of crazy that there's two
0: big gyms like that in a, a place as small as Albuquerque that have UFC
3: fighters well they split there yeah they're from the same place they split, they branched off at one point mm-hmm. yeah but they it's, split up it's crazy
0: that you know these both guys have developed
3: really high level talent huh. like, well ten, it's because c- it's they all came from the same you know the, the same original yeah.
0: thing that's a fascinating story about the flight attendant i'm sorry what's his name again chris luttrell c- c- chris luttrell because um, him traveling and doing that, that's similar to what Hollis Gracie did, Hol- Holes did. Okay. Holes Gracie traveled to America and learned a lot of wrestling shit mm-hmm. and learned catch wrestling stuff. That's why the Americana is named the Americana. It's a, It's a... You know, it really came from American catch wrestling, Uh and they started incorporating into Brazilian jiu-jitsu along with some wrestling techniques and some sambo. He learned a bunch of shit, Uh and he was the guy that really was Hickson's mentor. He was the guy that was the head of the family before he died. He was the man, and he died in a um, hand gliding accident in Rio. Yeah, and he was he was the guy. Like he was the head of uh, all the others. You know, he was the one. Alpha of all the uh, the grapplers, and he, he was dedicated to learning and incorporating different techniques.
1: I think, like uh, in any other context, that those who are the most adaptable, most open to change and evolution, mm-hmm. are those mm-hmm. who who survive. Look, sure. uh, I remember Eddie Bravo uh, uh, showing uh, his his approach to Rickson Ricks Gracie. Rickson Gracie. Rickson. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard on me? No, and, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> and he was despite his his amazing knowledge and background and achievements he was open enough yes. to listen carefully uh, respectfully, uh, with you know, with humility.
0: He even uh, asked questions. Like Hickson was asking questions exactly. about different aspects of the positions. Yeah.
1: And coming from the 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 BJJ world, that's that's unusual actually. Well, uh,
0: Hickson is a very unusual guy. Hickson was a yogi. Like he was the first guy to incorporate yoga, and he is a legit yogi. Like, have you ever seen the videos of him doing those exercises in yes. Santa Monica where he's balancing on one leg and he puts his leg up in a full split? He yes. has incredible control of his body. Yes,
1: and, 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 and hence the, the, the people uh, uh, legitimately, legitimately saying, hey, Rickson was the first to implement movement in yes. his training.
0: He was, yeah. He was. Yeah.
1: But here's the thing. To me, uh, I want to pay tribute to all coaches that they are Muay Thai striking coaches, judo coaches, even strength and conditioning coaches. Mm-hmm. They are all… Movement trainers and movement specialists They all are well more or less specialized, yes. but they are It's all movement.
0: It is and you know, there's an interesting aspect that's going on right now in 10th planet jiu-jitsu with breakdancers. dancers There's a bunch of uh, these guys like Richie Martinez who was a, a break dancer like Amazing break dancer and his brother Gio these guys they can do crazy shit with their body They're standing on one hand and spinning around and because it, of that,
1: you have another term, hip hop. It's a lot mm-hmm. about how you control your hips, which is the fundamental of jiu jujitsu. I don't a, think that's hip hop. <laughs> I
0: don't think that's where it's <laughs> like well, because uh, it rhymes. It came. It came from like, um, like hip hop, Sugar dance, you, know, you know, different Sugar Hill Band, hip hop, trendy hip hop. What you don't know, Joe, those guys had
3: incredible movement. They didn't show it much. They had to. those rhymes. Their rhymes overshadowed their fucking their stability, their core stability.
1: <laughs> there's the dance and then there's the music and then there's the, in breakdancing you're gonna use yeah look your, at these
0: guys look, you're gonna
1: use your hips uh, uh, like crazy a lot of geo. those movements are achieved because you have great hip control look at and this and in jiu-jitsu you must look have at this great video. grip control look at uh, this control.
0: play that from the beginning Jamie watch what this guy can do mm-hmm. this is uh, just one of the breakdance look at he's standing on it's his beautiful. fucking yep. head beautiful. just his head but Tr- the controls yeah all sorts of stuff absolutely well, these guys, um, when Eddie first started training them and rolling with them, he was amazed at how freakishly strong they were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at them, they look like regular people. But it's the physical control of their body is just spectacular because of, you know, it's essentially similar to gymnastics in a lot of ways. Like, look at this fucking guy. No, no, that, that's <laughs> oh
1: meagle smi- level. Oh, my God. But, He's but triangling at the same time himself
0: and walking on his hands. This is nuts, man. That is fucking yeah. nuts. Uh-huh. What's the name of this video, Jamie? So if people are listening, they can watch this. Tenth Planet Breakdance Crew Freak Show. Yeah, they, they all call themselves Freak Show. He has yeah. got a, t- He owns Tenth Planet San Diego. Yeah. Is he j- trying Geo to does. submit himself? Yeah, it Richie looks like does, it.
1: Um, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, he can submit himself. Uh, there's a couple of those kids that could put themselves in triangles, like
1: legitimately put themselves in triangles. Look at this fucking look at Uh, this shit I'm sassing but I admire at the same time the skill there's no doubt oh there's uh, no doubt
3: um, the physical control of the body is just spectacular right and this is the first time I've seen this but I mean I can see the, the application to combat sports oh yeah like, um, immediately I've rolled with a couple
0: of these guys they're mm-hmm. fucking freaks like yeah. you can't hold on to them <laughs> they just yeah. they move all over the place mm-hmm. and they can catch you and shit from all sorts of weird angles like look at that <laughs> he's on one hand and he puts his legs in full lotus and, standing on one hand jumping up and down
1: it's and 10th planet uh, jiu-jitsu is a very uh, you know explorative innovative school of of jiu-jitsu and um, in in the in the game of MMA, uh, those gyms who also are open and collaborative are going to keep themselves, you know, at the upper echelon, um, and those who don't evolve will will disappear because yeah. it is indeed the methods. the The end result is the same. It's the fight. It's fighting, but the mm-hmm. methods to get there and to be proficient uh at it it boils down to the methods that you use and uh, with uh, with Carlos there was uh, there was no resistance when I approached him and I started to train he talk to his coaches about it and they they may not understand right away exactly what it was about or what it was going to bring to his game but they were at least open to it and eventually they saw uh, what together we've been able to to improve and achieve and if 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 it didn't have uh, that attitude, then Carlos would have not benefited.
0: So- did you contact uh, Jackson and Gre- uh, and Winklejohn before you worked with Erwan, or did you try it out first and go, hey, uh, I think I'm on to something?
3: Um, I think, I don't know. I don't I don't remember how that worked, but... Was really interesting, and Irwin touched on it earlier. Was that they saw the same thing? They both watched. So after my the widening
0: the stance,
3: yeah, and and the, the ability to move forward and back. We, mm-hmm. uh, me and uh, and uh, Greg Jackson sat, and he wanted to watch a couple of my fights, and we want he wanted to see what what we were doing well and what we needed improvement on. Um, saw a few things, and I started to work with Irwin completely independently. And, you know, we're walking on logs and this and that. And he's like, well, this is kind of a plan that I, I have for you and this is what I see. And it was exactly the same thing that Greg Jackson, who is, uh, you know, considered to be one of the most brilliant minds in MMA, saw. Um, Irwin is a movement specialist and Irwin had a plan and a strategy on how to improve that. Um, what was Jackson's idea of dealing with it? What did he think? Well, he, he knew what needed to be done. I don't think he necessarily knew how to get there. So he knew that
0: you needed to be able to move in and out better. Yes. But he didn't have any strategy. Yeah, for well, I
3: mean I wouldn't say that he didn't have any strategy. It was kind of okay, you know, we'll work on that. Let's figure out how yeah, to do that. L- yeah, l- let's let's work on that. But Maybe take, just drill it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Drill yeah. it. Uh Erwin and I we we videotaped my we videotaped us moving across the same the same distance and this dude's fast, man. He's like a fucking deer. Uh, he moves really, really, really quickly. He can run. He can kind jump. Looks like a deer. Yeah, yeah, he does. He's got that look in his eye.
1: <laughs> I don't find myself in the corner of the wood with me being a so-called deer and, and this guy with his bow because he shoots like super sharp.
0: Uh,
3: <laughs> so uh, anyway.
0: so videos you're going back and forth yeah so we're you know
3: we're looking at you know and we're 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 looking at this stuff in slow-mo frame by frame where his body position Mm -hmm. is compared to where mine is and what's the difference he's moving faster because boom he's more upright he doesn't have so much weight on his front foot that he has to load and take another half second Mm. before he just he springs backwards right and so we're like boom that's it uh this is what this is what we need to improve on. This is what we need to, to to do. Now we are going to drill it, and and there's a variety of different things to kind of uh, you know instill that that uh, uh, the stance and the posture, you know, as, as, as a, on a neuromuscular level.
0: Are you having other fighters approaching now?
3: Not yet,
1: but really. Uh, no after i
0: saw that well, video i would imagine the video of you guys training together I'd be like, this I, here's is the thing i really think there's there stuff. is
1: still some uh probably some uh uh skepticism mm-hmm. you know what's this movement coaching and right like, in the, looks like if jesus the guy doesn't have uh, doesn't doors. look like jesus doesn't have a man bun and a suave foreign yeah. accent it's a ripoff yeah. you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right so um i think that it, it they don't know exactly what it is about. And they probably believe that it's either ran- – it's probably random or mm-hmm. – but if you listen to what Carlos says, um, it is actually – it was highly specific. Because a camp is three months. We would uh, train once a week, maybe sometimes twice a week. But that's still a limited amount of time to right. make those changes happen. So I had to choose my battle. And, right. I, and then I I, I – I, I, I told Carlos, listen, this is what I believe we need to work on and just focus on, and and we did that for the first camp, and then the second camp for uh, Lawler was completely different, completely different, uh, and and highly specific to uh, to improving uh, kicking. What were you gonna say? You were gonna say so I, we we actually
3: we do have some guys that are they've been doing this kind of independently. They've uh, one of the, one of the guys is young guy and they're fighting on like amateur and regional levels, but you, I have a feeling we're going to, you're going to know their names here, you know, in the next couple of years. Um, they're up and coming guys. They're young, uh, you know, like 21, 22, 23 year old, you know, kind of making their way. Um, one of them has been watching Irwin's videos since he was like 15 years old. He met her when he was all starstruck. Oh my God, this (laughs) is Irwin LaCour. How did you even, you know? And, uh, uh they are incorporating movement quite a bit so it's not you know it's not that they haven't s- sought him out they're they're kind of very interested in this and doing their own stuff and 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 finding this stuff on online and watching you know, Portale portal stuff watching irwin 's stuff and um and, and definitely incorporating a lot of this, this stuff. And then one of the kids is, is a gymnast. He was a gymnast before, oh. and and so now he can do all kinds of crazy shit. I and mean, they're they're all, an edge, uh, they're all looking for an edge.
1: Definitely, they're all looking for an edge. Even Carlos was looking for.
0: Well, uh, George St Pierre was, was doing a lot of gymnastics. Uh, Pat Cummings does a lot of that as yeah.
3: well. It's the same thing. And now now we're yeah. see, like we you know we see with Connor McGregor, so it's like this big thing. All oh, this right. GSP was, you know, he was he was doing gymnastics for the same exact reasons to be able to move his body better through through space and and ultimately become a better fighter and Mm -hmm. be able to better the shit out of people yeah uh, that's yeah. that's the goal right? right you know it's 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 fun and it's cool it's a cool way to train and you know after the fact I think this is a, a, a cool fitness modality that's that's very different I, I absolutely love it I've been an ath- athlete all my life and I can I plan on being an athlete to the fucking day I die how
0: much longer do you think you're gonna be fighting um have you considered that oh yeah you, oh yeah because I've, I've heard you talking about that uh-huh. after the the Robbie Lawler fight
3: um i don't know i don't know it's it, I'm, I'm how probably old are you now 31 i'll be 32 in a few months you're still in your prime i am but you know this has been a it's been a long road you know i started training profession or fighting professionally at 18 mm. um, have had 40 you know over 40 fights you know, and you like, feel it you get dinged up i get dinged up and you, I, I still feel great i think I think my concern is the long term neurological stuff um, mm-hmm. that is you know the kind of com- coming to light with you know with all, you know all this this studies on this the concussions and you've seen me fight i don't I don't go in there and not take damage yeah. I I fucking take damage you know i i take take punishment you know i' take I'll take two to give one, and that's just kind of my style and well, you didn't fight like that in the Nick Diaz fight that was like one of the few fights where he didn't fight like that yeah uh you know i I felt I'd seen a lot of guys go in against Nick Diaz and gas themselves out trying to knock that guy out, man. Yeah. It's like he can you can't knock him out. He took a full-on uh, uh, left hook from from Paul Daly, flopped around a little bit, popped back up. Paul Daly blew his wad trying to finish him, and then and then got knocked the fuck out himself. And, yeah, and I've seen a lot of guys, you know, hurt him, but he's so goddamn tough. He's so hard to put away, and so yeah, it was more of a. Um, uh, of a calculated approach. You know, as I got flowing later in the fight, I started opening up a little bit. But um, I think that's what uh, a lot of Nick Diaz's strategy is. He he wants for one, he wants to get in your head, and he wants you to fight emotionally. He wants you to sit there and have a face punch punching competition with him. <laughs> you know, oh, we're gonna stand here like it's the fucking schoolyard. Was and he talking a lot of shit to you? He he was, but it. I just I knew. I knew what he's gonna do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew I grew up with right dudes like that. you know, right. you know my whole life, I was you know, so I was kind of used to that, and I knew that I was gonna have to be emotionally um, uh, prepared. Yeah, blank. yeah, yeah, emotionally uh, kind Zen. of kind of sh- shut down and just fight a, a strategic fucking game plan against the guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was f- f- interesting to watch that fight because you know he was extremely frustrated. By that you know and he couldn't get you to change you know whereas he's been able to like fuck with guys heads like the Frank Shamrock fight like you could see Frank Shamrock going I can't fucking believe this is happening to me Mm -hmm. like when Nick was caught talking shit to him like what bitch what and then popping him with a jab you could see like for some people that shit talking becomes overwhelming with Mm -hmm. Nick Mm -hmm. yeah
3: yeah you know it's funny is uh both me and cowboy fought the diaz brothers within a few weeks of each other right uh, uh cowboy lost to nate and i fought nick just a few weeks later and in in preparation for both of our camps we would we were switching roles and both fighting <laughs> southpaw and both fighting you know like one round i would fight southpaw and talk a bunch of shit and try <laughs> and try try to try to get you know try try to emulate the diaz style and then the next round he would do the same did you yell out stockton motherfucker 209 i 209. I, 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 you know, I i did my best impression that reminds me of a buddhist
1: <clears throat> uh, monk drill where they're all in their meditation posture and uh they they partner up and the other guys like trying to instigate them and no, top crap to them to have them get out of their meditation. Mm. That's the drill. Very, well, there's very definitely similar.
0: something to that. I mean if you're not used to people that talk shit when someone talks shit to you It can be like emotionally devastating. You're like, what what's yeah. happening here? Yeah. But if you are used to be like fuck you I've yeah. heard this shit, you know, it's, yep. it, it becomes normal Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean I tried to explain that to fighters um, when they deal with online criticism as well uh-huh. like I've ha- talked to guys who would go on like the underground and see like some shit that people are talking about them and just be Fucking devastated uh-huh. and get so upset and I was like, look, man, you got to treat it like snake venom. You get a little bit of that shit in your system, and you're going to be okay. You get yeah. a little bit more, and you eventually you build, you build up an immunity to it. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, I get it. You're just a bunch of little cunts uh-huh. who've never accomplished shit. Yeah. So you're talking shit about fighters, calling them pussies. Because yeah. like, to some fighters, you have a loss. And you're like, good, I'm glad he got knocked out. I fucking hate watching that guy fight. He's a pussy. You're like, <gasps>
3: <laughs> yeah and to but them just it's, some it's, it's, stuff oh it, yeah. my god it's and the, initially it, it's like it's like whoa yeah. after that you know I'd never experienced that until really until after the DS fight like there had been some but after the DS fight I mean you know that it was yeah. like whoa. big time so yeah I call it the delicious and
1: what I, ca- I call it the the unique snowflakes uh, snowflake uh, uh, syndrome like you're told since you're a kid you're a unique snowflake but the problem is that they, they can't stand the heat does that make sense? <laughs> um, <laughs> who are you talking about, though? I who
0: him. is the unique snowflake, the person talking shit or the fighter? Uh,
1: whoever is like being told all the time, hey, it's okay to be different or it's okay to be this and that. Uh-huh. But the problem is that sometimes you do need to uh, hear stuff about, about about yourself that is challenging and, and to take it. Cr- yeah. To not crumble. Uh, to not crumble, No, you Criticism. need
0: to hear it. I mean, I would, I would appreciate... Uh, I mean, man, it's hard. Because I like both ways. I kind of love, like, Nate Diaz... Punching Michael Johnson in the face and then pointing at him, ah, I just fucked you up. Like Mm -hmm. it's funny, Mm -hmm. you know. When Anderson fought Nick and Nick laid down on his back and pretended he was sleeping for a second, Mm -hmm. I was fucking crying laughing. I love it when Conor McGregor talks mad shit to Jose Aldo for months Mm -hmm. until he just rents space in his head to the point where Aldo just he literally can't fight his fight. Mm -hmm. He has to run at Conor because he's just so overwhelmed with emotion, Mm -hmm. and then Conor sleeps him. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I I like both, but I prefer. In a in a perfect world, I prefer martial artists. I prefer guys that go out there, treat each other with respect, shake each other's hands, and then just go at it. Really. Just let their skill take it. But it's an effective tactic. To
1: these fighters, it's part of their weapons. It fucking It's, works. it's not something outside their, their game. It's completely... Uh, Embedded in their whole game. It, oh, yeah.
0: Well, it's also it a lot sense. of fighters define themselves by respect By how much someone respects them and how how much like like to a fighter when someone's not scared of them It becomes a very devastating thing uh-huh. Like I remember when Anderson fought Chris Weidman when Ry- Weidman and Anderson were at the weigh-ins and Anderson staring at him looking at him and Weidman goes. I'm not scared of you, dude I'm not scared of you and you could see Anderson was like shit. This guy really isn't fucking scared of me Like you could see there was a tangible moment where this guy wasn't pretending he wasn't scared. Mm. He just literally wasn't
3: scared. And you could feel it. That that similar situation at the weigh-ins with uh, Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm. Holm. Yes. Same thing. And I I felt like that was a precursor to what ended up happening. Well, the
0: big part was when Holly didn't flinch. Exactly. When Rhonda was yelling at her, you fake bitch, you know, Your preacher's daughter, all this stuff and stuff, and she wrote all this stuff on Instagram about her, and Holly's just standing there. And then when I interviewed Holly afterwards, she goes, well, I was just trying to get a sip of water. And you realize, like, whoa, this girl's so fucking composed. Uh-huh. Like, so composed. Yeah. And And also... She had been to so many dances. Yeah. She'd fought for so many boxing titles and kickboxing and MMA. She'd been in so many dances that the bright lights weren't an uncomfortable thing to yep. her. She had, she's like, okay, we're here again. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas for a lot of people, it's like, whoa, this is the big show. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, I can't believe I'm here. Yep. Absolutely. You know, being overwhelmed by the moment is almost something that you can't prepare for. You, it seems to me that for a lot of people, some people just naturally can deal with moments, mm-hmm. and some people they have to experience it a couple of times to get loose. They get they got to get comfortable with it, and then they have to like some people. Like Cowboy's a perfect example. He fights his best when he fights a lot. He's got to fight all the time. Mm-hmm. He fights three, four times a year, and then you're going to get the best cowboy you can mm-hmm. get. But you make him take a year off or take a you know a, a long time off, and it's yeah. he's just he's much better when he's
3: active. Yeah. He's got to stay. Loose and looped mm-hmm. up, and you yeah. know, you know, fired up, and that fight with Tim ne- Means is going to be
0: fucking crazy. Yeah. When they announced that, I went, "Whoa!" Yeah. I Why know. did Cowboy decide to take
3: that fight? Because he doesn't like cutting weight. I have no idea. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't talked to Cowboy. But I mean, I said, "Hey, what's up?" You know we didn't, but we didn't really talk about the fight at all. Well, he's so
0: crazy, you could probably offer him Brock Lesnar. He look come on, bring oh, it all. Oh, for
3: sure, exactly. Just do it. That's it. That,
0: that's why it's, be- it's because he's cowboy. Yeah, he's just
3: nuts, man. Yeah, Yeah, he's a fun dude, man. Yeah, absolutely fun to watch fight. Shh, fuck, he's either he's either on or he's off. Yeah, unfortunately,
0: unfortunately. Well, I don't even necessarily know if he it wasn't that he was not on. I said Dos Anjos is a fucking demon.
3: Yeah, he's just. Jumps all over you. He's a D- demon. Did that to him. Did that to Pettis. Yeah, man. Nobody's done that to Pettis, man. Dude.
0: Dude. But he, he's just so fucking fat. And again, he's a guy who trains with Nick Kerson And Nick Kerson 's gotten doing all these plyometrics and jumps and uh-huh. sprints and foot strengthening stuff you ever seen that stuff where they're they're lying on their back and their feet are pushing up these bars and they're kicking up these bars and catching them with their mm-hmm. feet and and exploding yep. with their feet i saw i saw the video before the cowboy fight yeah it's well, is- all based on marv marinovich's training str- strategies yeah. that's the same sort of shit that he used with bj penn really it's really well, I interesting. I remember that I remember yeah.
3: watching that and BJ was standing on the, mm-hmm. the, the tennis balls mm-hmm. and all that sort of yeah thing. you know I very think, similar Yeah, very similar and and it's you know it's all very similar kind of a d- different ways different, different branches methods, yeah but it's all kind of you know it, it's all this you know uh, the same goal
0: so what's next for you now do you hang back for a while you had a brutal crazy five-round war for the title where it was as close as you're ever going to fucking get. I mean, a lot of people saw it your way. A lot of people saw it Robbie's way. It was just that close. Split decision. Um, what do you do now?
3: Um, I, I'd i like another shot at Robbie. You know, I've, I felt like I won the fight. Um, and like you said, it was a razor, razor close decision. Um, could have gone either way. MMA judging is subjective, you know. The scoring
0: like, system is so fucking crazy too. It is absolutely it's just nuts that we're still using that ten point must system.
3: Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't apply very well to MMA, no. and, and that's proven over and over again. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd I'd like another shot at uh at Robbie. I feel like I should have the belt right now.
0: But it seems like Tyron Woodley's next, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at least he was sort of promised that mm-hmm. based on the the Hendricks fight, where Hendricks didn't make weight and. Um, it seems like that's what's probably being set up, but you never know with the UFC. I mean, Misha Tate was supposed to fight Ronda. If she beat, uh, was it Jessica? I is
2: mm-hmm. that who it was? Uh, I,
0: I don't. Remember. I think that's who it was. And then they decided no. So it's it's interesting because the UFC kind of decides to call the shots. Mm-hmm. Has anybody talked to you about whether or not they would do that again?
3: Uh, I think it's I think it's definitely a possibility. I, you know, I, I think the first fight. They made that fight because that was the fight that people wanted to see among, yeah. um, and among any of the contenders. That, 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 was, the, that was the one that, that got everybody excited. Right. That that was the one. And a rematch of that fight? Oh, yeah. Come on now. Well, I think as far as uh,
0: public interest, that would be the biggest fight out there. Yeah. But I feel like I just hate when someone gets promised something. Yeah. You know, and I would feel the same way if it was you. Like Tyron Woodley get promised that title fight. Mm-hmm. If he beat Hendricks, Hendricks fucks up and doesn't make weight, and the ki- fight fights off, and then Woodley's sort of left out the dry. Mm-hmm. I feel for him. Yeah, you know, no.
3: and I do too. And and shit, you know, I have, I have a loss to Woodley. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that you know, that's definitely on my radar to 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 avenge that loss. Uh, Does no. a loss like that, an injury loss, fuck with you as much as a a, a loss
0: by decision or? You know, I mean, that's a kind of a crazy loss because your, your
3: knee blew out. Yeah. I think even more so just because of the fact that I, I didn't get to do as much as I wanted to do. Mm. You know, I, did, I didn't get to leave everything out there. You know, this this last one, yeah, it's a bummer I didn't take the belt home that night. Didn't go my way. But, you know, I I pushed it. I was able to fucking empty the tank. You definitely emptied the tank. Yeah. and, and both in the, did. In the Woodley fight. I didn't. Uh, my, you know, my body gave out. My knee blew out. So, um, yeah, from that perspective, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he was promised a fight, but I'm not in charge of Tyron. I'm not in charge of right. pick, picking the fight. I'm in charge of, you know, Carlos Condit and trying to get myself in, in the best fight. That being said, you know, honestly, that's about the only fight that interests me at this point.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be mad if they decided to make a rematch. I'd feel bad for Tyron. But uh, fuck, I'd love to see that again.
3: Yeah, I'd love to do that again.
0: That's how much time would you need off after a fight
3: like that? Um, I think I'd be, I'd be ready to go in, you know, late spring, early summer. The UFC 200 Tons, don't, sounds don't good to no, me. Don't. Sounds good to me. I don't Jesus know. Jesus Christ! I don't you know you. That, that would be gigantic. That'd be
0: UFC 200. That's oh my goodness. You know,
3: I I. I wanted that fight to be legendary and I think that it lived up to that.
0: Oh, it was legendary. And it was uh, one of the greatest fights I've ever seen. Yeah. So I've probably called 1500 fights or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something crazy like that. That was easily in the top 10. Mm-hmm.
1: Just everybody wants to see a sequel. Except Tyron. It's like an unfinished business. Except yeah.
0: Tyron Woodley He's right now listening, going, Fuck right. that shit. <laughs> this is my fucking shot. <laughs> yeah. And I
3: I understand where he's coming from, but yeah, you know. I get it
0: too. I get it too. Hey, maybe they can, you know, fucking give him a little, little kudos sp-
3: Listen, Tyron. <laughs> take a few of these. Keep back, like, relax, yeah, yeah. Have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um but uh you know, I don't know. I still I still love this shit. I mean, I still right. I still love the process training camp even fucking fight week i enjoy and you know that's awesome One of my favorite things in life is to get in there and fucking and, you know mix it up with a guy like robbie so well it was one of my favorite things to watch because
0: it was just an amazing fight it was like i said after the fight it was an honor it was an honor to be there and to call it because i know that when this is all over and we're old and we're sitting around at a bar or at a picnic someday or We're picnicking talking about we're talking about (laughs) the past. We're going to talk about that fight. You know, the way people talk about Leonard and Duran or the way people talk about any great crazy
3: fight that they were
0: they were there for.
3: Yeah. And, And win or lose. Ultimately, that's that's what I want to be said. That's the legacy that I want to leave.
0: Well, I think it was martial arts in its best form in a lot of ways. It was a heart determination, willpower technique. Uh, the discipline to go through camp to get yourself in the kind of shape that you need to be in to compete for five rounds like that, mm-hmm. which is just an insane amount of physical conditioning. You I mean, you guys fucking emptied, and your v- workload was extremely high in that fight, mm-hmm. especially kicks. I remember that was one of the things that we commented on, like how many kicks you had thrown. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was uh, really a really fucking crazy, crazy fight.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fun, man. I, yeah. I had fun. I don't know, maybe maybe I'm a little bit twisted, but I, I was... <laughs> well, I, I would definitely the, say you're a little bit twisted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, that was yeah, that was a good the, time. The
1: kicks were a big part of a, the strategy, too. Yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of people wonder, why is it that uh, Lawler was not as aggressive as usual? Mm-hmm. I believe there is a reason because it's not like he was less hungry or less in, in shape. It's because the strategy worked of uh, higher volume and higher uh, accuracy and... Uh, with with the, those kicks to, to you know lower his his aggressiveness, mm-hmm. um, it worked.
0: Well, st- kicks are always so dangerous too because mm-hmm. it just takes one slip up. You know, it's they're, they're so much harder than punches, and you're taking them on your arms, and they fuck your arms up mm-hmm. to the point where you can't throw punches anymore. So you got to be careful what you absorb.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, It's, part, it's uh, the volume is is statistically the volume is going to create damage mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Different divers part of the the body.
3: So when, uh, you know, I've I've heard the debate about the the fight metrics, how, Mm -hmm. you know, I threw a lot. I didn't necessarily land a lot. Um, And I feel like the the kick and the kicks and the the volume of of punches that I was that I was throwing out was, you know, the equivalent of, uh, you know, say, putting down cover fire if you're in a Mm -hmm. firefight. Yeah, you're not necessarily, uh, you know, popping people's nuggets, Mm -hmm. but you are you know that it's part of an overall strategy yes. to to come out with victory you're, you're you're throwing him off you're making him keep his hands up you're keeping that distance you're you know making the enemy keep their head down yes. in, in this analogy
0: and you weren't also loading up either you were touching him with a lot of these things and mm-hmm. keeping him on his toes mm-hmm. and you know that was something that Dwayne was calling TJ Dillashaw to do in his fight with Dominic Cruz he was like to just go out and then touch him just keep touching him and then the, the shots will come but he got so emotional and tied up and trying to knock Dominic out. You could see him standing more flat footed swinging more single shots, uh-huh. yeah. single kicks single punches
3: this yeah, this guy that had looked just incredibly dynamic with his footwork and his he you know kind of looked like Dominic Cruz against other guys and looked really well. Dominic Cruz goes out there and makes him. You know, look like a very orthodox, uh, uh, you know, fighter. He's not. He's not moving like yeah, that anymore.
0: At, at times, yeah. At it, times.
3: It, it, initially, they came out and they were both mm-hmm. moving like that. I'm like, oh, what? This is this is crazy. These guys going to open up a wormhole? What yeah. The fuck's going- <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right. This shit's going to be. You know. This yeah. Shit's wild.
0: Well, I think that's what a lot of us expected. But yeah. um, it's interesting that what what Uriah had said about TJ that he had a feeling that TJ was going to get emotional because TJ a super competitive guy yeah. and he get really geared up and. You know, that's uh, that was an interesting fight. Really interesting fight to watch. It's crazy that Dominic Cruz was able to come back, having essentially only fought once in four years.
3: Yeah, and and win the title and like that. Like that, yeah, yeah. He's a different kind of animal.
0: He's a sure. smart motherfucker too. Yeah, he you talked to that guy?
3: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I've known him since WEC. Uh,
0: I listen to his an- analysis of fights, like mm-hmm. when he talks about like what mistakes guys make and things guys are doing right and correctly, and what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you realize like he's
3: operating on a very, very high level. Oh yeah, very high level. Absolutely, and that's probably part of why he was able to come back and compete at the level that he did because he, you know, he was sitting there, you know, analyzing this, you know, they, they talk about, you can sit there and do repetitions of a kick or a technique, um, you know, a hundred times, but it, it's almost the same, uh, thing neurologically to visualize yourself doing mm. that. They say that that visual visual training is a sim- is, is very similar and almost as effective as actually doing it. Yeah. So I wonder if I mean the, the, I wonder if there's kind of a of a correlation there. I would imagine there is. Well, he's
0: interesting in a way also cuz he says that there's no such thing as octagon rust. Mm-hmm. Like I asked him about and he's like it's not real. Octagon it's mental weakness. If he believes that it's true, mm-hmm. but when you watch the fight, it certainly looked true. I mean, he didn't look rusty at all. It's just fucking kind of nuts.
3: Mm-hmm. um I th- I think that's the thing. It's a, it's a belief thing. Yeah, he, uh, he, he's not going to let that not not for one one second hinder him. Yeah, I
1: agree with Carlos because in the absence of of actual movement training due to his injury, it's very likely that he was still visualizing every day his movements and, mm-hmm. and therefore using his brain to keep practicing the movements even though a body could not the body could not follow at that you know during mm-hmm. that time do you
0: examine dominic's footwork do you examine guys that are fighting do you watch like it's, different guys movements uh, and
1: it's it's close to perfection and easy using a, a, a particular technique yes but also most importantly it's all about his alertness and responsiveness mm-hmm. and timing and right. that, again, it's 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 uh, it's not how much your body can can do it, how much your mind is is able to operate your body to achieve that. Yeah. So you need a brain that is extremely sharp. Um,
0: well, I was super impressed with him. But one of the things that I thought of when I watched that fight is, God damn, how good is Mighty Mouse? You got to take a leak. So what's going on? Yeah, let's just wrap this fucker up. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, we, we did almost three hours. But listen, thank you very much. It was Absolutely, awesome. Absolutely, Thank man. you, Erwan. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Joe. So uh, your uh, Twitter handle is, uh, there's Movenat,
1: N-A-T. N-A-T right.
0: M-O-V-N-A-T. M-O-V-N-A-T. And then there's also yours, which is uh, just or, Irwan, Irwan LaCour. Irwan
1: core move not.com
0: and you can find it on my twitter page because i tweeted it today all right. and carlos it's Thanks. carlos condit yep and MoveNot.com. MoveNat move not movna m-o-v-n-a-t thank you brother really appreciate absolutely, it absolutely awesome it's really thank you so much guys. thank Joe. You. all right folks we'll be back tomorrow with the uh, guys from cowspiracy holy shit here we go thank you everybody for tuning into the podcast i hope you liked it uh, thanks to Caveman Coffee for providing us with the caffeine to get us through this motherfucker. Go to cavemancoffeeco.com and get yourself some of that. Thank you to LegalZoom. Go to legalzoom.com. Use the promo code ROGAN at checkout and get yourself a discount. Thanks also to Me Undies. Go to MeUndies.com forward slash Rogan now to get free shipping and 20% off your first order of the world's most awesome underwear. Thanks also to Onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T, use the code word Rogan, and save 10% off any and all supplements. That's it, yo. It's over. This podcast is over. All right. Tomorrow, I am having the, the guys on who made Cowspiracy. If you haven't seen that documentary... Stop what you're doing and go check it out now before even you uh, see the podcast because it's pretty fucking trippy. Very powerful, interesting uh, documentary and apparently our friend Rich Roll uh, was a part of it. Uh, He's one of the producers of the film. Really, really, really interesting stuff and I want to get into it with these guys. It's, It's a trip. So enjoy it. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for everything. I appreciate the fuck out of you people. And uh, talk at you soon. Bye-bye. Big
1: kiss. Much love.